0: you yeah. ね。
1: Everybody and welcome to episode 6 of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. I am George Thompson, Sarah Parkin and David Forrest are joining me as ever. How are you doing guys?
0: Howdy, I'm doing alright. I'm not not too bad. I'm using my call centre headset. So apologies if I start talking like this and asking you about, you know, have you got your customer identification password or anything like that. But yeah, I'm doing alright. I'm, I'm not bad. You know, um, we live in an eternal hellscape. But you know... <laughs>
1: You sound like um, fucking Drew McIntyre when you do your call center voice.
0: Yeah, he yeah, yeah, is. It's it's really funny. Did, did I tell you he cut a promo um, where he was doing his voice, and then halfway through he goes, "Look, Scottish people, I know you hate the voice. I hate the voice as well, but they can't understand me." And then he just went back to his, <laughs> he went back to his normal his normal promo voice. It was it was really good. It was like fair play, like, um, it's <laughs> quite good. That's amazing. It is. But, um,
2: yeah um i'm doing all right thanks however i'm unfortunately i have mislaid my customer identification number so frankly this is going to put a significant hole in this podcast sorry well, I'm, david
0: i'm afraid that um if listeners want to uh, listen to the rest of this podcast they'll need to go to their local branch with a photographic <laughs> id and a statement um, to show that they have listened to the last five episodes now <laughs> i'm just going to place in hold for a moment Thank you very much for your patience. Sorry about that. I've spoken to my manager, and what we'll do is we'll refund the late fees on this instance, but we won't refund the interest because it was really up to you. The onus is on you to tell us you've updated your phone number so that you can continue to receive the text alerts. And obviously, be aware that um, in the future, if you get, do get these sort of things happening, then you will be liable for any charges you won't be able to refund anymore. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll pass you back to my, my colleague, uh, George.
1: <laughs> Great. So um, what we're doing with episode six, as you will know if you've listened to any of the previous episodes or if you're just listening to me tell you now, we are doing a uh, big egg wrestling universe the seminal 1994 joshi wrestling show um in themed episodes focusing on a different aspect of the show and what it meant for women's wrestling in japan at the time and uh, what we're doing this episode is broadly speaking talking about uh, attempts to uh, inculcate some sort of mainstream and crossover appeal uh, through joshi wrestling so there's two matches on this card which we feel um sort of sum up various different attempts to do this the first one is about the idea of a masked hero and the second one is about um, idol culture which I'm sure if you're passingly familiar with uh, Japanese pop culture you'll have at least uh, some familiarity with so yeah. the um, the first match we're going to do is um, uh, match 13 on the show so we're quite a way into it now this mm-hmm. is actually the last match before the VTOP tournament starts so it's got a fairly prominent place on the card the match pits Mariko Yoshida versus Blizzard yuki in singles action so sarah our uh, resident uh, joshi historian if you will is a little bit on the uh, no pressure on... <laughs> yes uh, no no you're more of a historian than fucking uh, dominic sangbrook or david stark or any of them cunts so uh, i won't worry about it so um, uh, yeah yeah go go for it so uh, just uh, what, what can you tell me about these two yeah um,
2: so we started off by talking about using mainstream appeal and that is not in any way to suggest that um, women's wrestling in japan hadn't had kind of quite a broad popular cultural appeal at different points in its history absolutely it had that's what we've been talking about with things like um the chikisunagayan years and that peak in the 80s um and actually we are obviously in another boom period here of one form or another um, by the time we get to big egg what we're trying to focus on here is some quite slightly different gimmicks which actually all kind of have a a heritage all, and kind of all have a lineage. So they're things that actually I think we'll see and we'll be able to see that there's there their ideas that have sort of carried through into sort of 21st century wrestling. Because, I mean, we'll see when we get to the match later on. I think everybody can name a wrestler who's borrowing quite heavily from someone mm. in that match as well. So I want to go back to... So this match in particular... Blizzard Yuki is the new name that's being given at the time to a promising um, young wrestler called Saki Hasegawa. Um, so this is a, a new gimmick. Um, she was one of those people who looked like she was on the cusp of something really impressive. Um, so in the same era as people like The one and only and all-time heroic Jushin Liger um, and uh, some other guy called Tiger Mask as well, you might have heard of him Other guys
1: Uh, called Tiger Mask at this point uh, Other many guys
2: (laughs) called Tiger Mask Um, There's a a period in time where the crossover with things like anime really starts to become uh, apparent in wrestling as well So Jushin Liger, this kind of mad character that comes up I regularly describe as a happy mischievous little goblin man Um, but that may or may not be accurate depending on what alignment he's working at the time
1: yeah I was going to say I don't think there's anything happy or mischievous about him in say 2003 Noah but yes I take your point broadly
2: I love Jushin
1: Liger <laughs> I
0: know so you do. <laughs> much. I, I mean, he's certainly mischievous. I think you could see he was
2: mischievous and Noah.
1: Yeah, that's true. He's just a massive dickhead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'll take that. All right. Either way, so massive dickhead Jushin Liger, um, and then you've got people like Tiger Mask as well. Um, so there's a movement in the women's side as well to start util- utilizing that appeal with something like a, a with, with something like a, an anime. Um, so. Saki Hasegawa, um, has is relatively new on the scene at this point, and she'd been in a bit of a holding pattern for a while. So she'd won um, sort of the, um, I think it was, uh, it was one of the lower mid-card titles um, once, but she hadn't really been going anywhere new. Um, but I think we'll see when we start talking about this match. She definitely has something about her. Um, she'd, being a Japanese tag champion which was sort of a, a secondary title um with Debbie Malenko who's uh, which is a name that I don't think many people will hear nowadays um they did a brilliant bit um at one point in the early 90s where they were coming out dressed as the Steiner Brothers so oh some God, absolutely that's... fantastic photos of that online definitely go and look for Saki Hasegawa and Debbie Malenko because it's great
1: Which um, era Steiner Brothers though is it the varsity jackets or like chainmail era
2: it's oh no it's brights. it's Bright, fluorescent singlets.
1: Hell yeah, that yeah. sounds great. Oh yeah,
2: no, that's... A, the peak Peak Steiner brothers, if you ask me. Um, so, but pretty much during that period, um, Saki and Debbie Malenko traded the belts with um, Mariko Yoshida um, and Takako Inoue, who we talked about in a previous episode. Um, and they'd had a couple of sort of interpromotional matches as well, so um, Hasgawa had, had an inter-promotional match with Hikari Fukuoka, who we're going to see later on um, in um, in the previous year to this um, this is very much an era where there's a lot of inter-promotional warfare happening anyway and being booked on shows, but the fact that Saki is being put in those positions actually suggests that they probably think quite, quite highly of her um, and she she's on the cusp of potentially something impressive so i'm not entirely certain why blizzard yuki became a thing whether they thought that that was just the vehicle that would get her into that position or whether they were looking for somebody to do that gimmick and she seemed like the right candidate mm. um, i've not really been able to get to the bottom of that but i mean later on um or sort of during this period um blizzard yuki actually got a 30 minute draw against Manami toyota so that's somebody that they obviously think is going to be is is on a path to greatness of some description because Toyota is very much kind of your top your, your top face at this point. Um, she didn't last much longer beyond this match, unfortunately. Um, so by the time you get into 1996, um, she starts um, she sort of starts pulling back and she sort of retires. Um, and then naturally, she appears in ASEAN in 1998 because nobody in Joshi actually retires. Um, So what did you guys think of her from just just from her appearance and things? Because she definitely she doesn't look like anybody else on the card.
1: No, absolutely not. I think, I mean, this is very new in terms of, I think the probably the most notable master wrestler that had competed in AJW before would have been La Galactica, who had a uh, short lived run with the red belt in 1983, um, having won it off Jaguar Yakota and then dropped it back to her a month later, but she uh, being a, a luchadora mm. rather than a uh, homegrown master wrestler. And I don't know as they'd actually had. Uh, many attempts at that before, if if indeed any. I know later on in the 90s, um, there were the Zaps, which were a Zap-I and Zap-T, which I believe was Ko Ito and Tomoko Otanabe, who were doing mass gimmicks, and they were pushed as a tag team and ended up uh, performing very well in uh, in singles uh, competitions as well. This was like 1998, 1999, so after the, the heyday of uh, AJW, um, but it's, it's certainly a different, I, I think masks were probably, um, it's obviously less striking than a lot of the ones you would probably get nowadays and there's no sort of, not much in the way of horns or accoutrements on it that you might get for someone called, uh, uh, for someone like Liger for instance.
0: I honestly thought it was Kendall Cashin's mask at first. It actually, Kendall Cashin's mask.
1: it does look a bit like it actually. Uh, Drag- That's interesting. Dragon Soldier B himself. Um,
2: I thought they were going for something a bit more futuristic.
1: I think it's quite hard for us to say what looked futuristic at the time.
2: Yeah. Because
1: like um, us being all like very young uh, back at the time of this, this show, I mean, like there was a time when the most futuristic thing in the world was just putting 2000s at the end of stuff. And now that seems very silly, but at the time, like if you just wanted to make something seem radical and new, then like you just say, "Oh, we're NWO 2000, so it's cool again." And now it's like, was it? Because Jeff Jarrett was in that stable, but you know, like it's, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting now, actually. Um, uh, I think the idea of a, uh, a masked like a masked idol or a masked face i mean um most of the stardom wrestlers have a mask that um, they come to the ring in um if uh, they don't compete in it but um... i
2: find that really confusing because what they actually do is they come most of them they come out in the mask and that's all well and good and then they take the mask off as soon as they actually get to the ring and
0: the Boxer Lucia Commission will have their heads. Oh, yeah,
1: phantasmas exactly. come in for them. I mean, Rossi probably knows him. Actually, he's uh, big into it, big, big mates with Doctor Vadden Junior. I think right. actually the reason they have the mask is just to just to sell them afterwards.
2: I mean, that's obviously the reason for all of these things.
1: Well, yeah, yes, yes, indeed. Like. um but uh yeah so I th- I, th- I guess that's the reason for also um, Mina Shirakawa in uh, uh, Tokyo Joshi who you certainly might term, a, term an idol type wrestler comes out in a mask for again not really a discernible reason uh, but yeah I, th- I think certainly the main comparison to be made is with figures like Liger uh, and Tiger mask um, at the time I think that's certainly what they were uh, certainly what they were going for with this uh, character It's quite interesting to see an iteration of that
0: mm. well I, I was going to say my-, my initial reaction to seeing seen Juki is that Uh, she is literally every nine-year-old's favorite Joshi wrestler (laughs) absolutely immediately like like, i I mean i've mentioned before on this podcast many times my my goal in life is to go back to when i was nine years old when I didn't care about all the worries in the world, I wasn't locked down, I, you know, you know, I didn't have lots of credit card debt, I wasn't going to die in five years from a heart attack, all that. Just relentlessly happy all the time. Everything was great. That was also the year of France, 98. So, <laughs> like, the, the greatest three weeks of my life. So I just want to get back to that point. So this is my main, one of my main critical faculties when I watch wrestling is I want to transport back to being nine years old again, having that that innocence and that feeling of just everything being amazing. Um. And Blizzard, uh, Blizzard UK really hits high on that scale of just me being like, yes, I am nine years old again. Blizzard UK is the greatest dresser of all time. Here we go. Like, yeah, I, I, I really liked it. I think it was, it was a great look. I mean, it, it's weird because, like, I say it's a great look. I mean, I looked at Kendall Cashin's mask, which is not the best mask in the world. And, you know, her costume was good and all that. But it wasn't anything like, I mean, this is this is a very sartorial show you know if you're going to have a good costume you need a very good costume because there's tons of people absolutely blowing it out of the water um so like but it's more of a sum some was better than the part, so to speak and it's sort of just the general aesthetic and the aura of this woman i was like yeah i could get into this and yeah absolutely it's just i i i absolutely love um, random japanese mass med carter like <laughs> from what like, this time uh people like Sabasa and stuff like that uh anybody in like a sakura pro and all that and just like, i love the idea of like just random like masks people like gurukun masks and stuff like that. i love stuff like that Um anybody in a mask i'll immediately and think, you're going to be one of the best super juniors in the world, it doesn't matter, you're in a mask it doesn't (laughs) care for shit (laughs) shit. I
2: think that's what they were hoping for for her, I really really think that that's it and when you think about kind of where where AJW was at that point they were, the talent pipeline had gotten to the point where they were letting people stay on beyond the age of 26 and people were and eventually that would cause them a problem when the top people wanted to stay the top people and they started losing a bit of that turnover but thinking about where they were blizzard yuki was a gimmick that could have run and run we could have been looking at a day when we ended up with blizzard yuki 4 and blizzard yuki w and you know whatever <laughs> we've had with, with, with tiger mask since then you know it that could have been the kind of thing where they might have been hoping that that was basically a new sort of revenue stream if you think of it in those terms i find it really interesting to imagine what would have happened had she not retired as early as she did or at least sort of let or at least given up on AJW as early as she did
1: but it's quite interesting though because if you look at the um the uh, results on cage match I mean that their AJW coverage is not total but it's getting better but like she rests she's after a few months of this gimmick she's back wrestling under her under her real name yeah so it's it's kind of interesting I'd be interested to know what happened I didn't realize that Blizzard Yuki and Sake Hasagawa were the the same person until we actually started um, uh, doing our research yeah, for this pod- yeah that is that is the I was gonna say reviewing this podcast uh, not, not, if you
2: do you want please to god review? don't review this podcast guys
1: no no please do god, but give don't... us give us five stars <laughs> Fine, we're not above we're not above demanding five star reviews of people. Do you
0: know Do you know how many five star reviews we have on iTunes? Is it zero? No, no, no. It's one. Is it? And do you know who it's by? Is, is it, it you? you? Yes, it is by <laughs> me. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, like you no, know, I, 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 totally agree. Like it's it's a real shame to think about what what could have been this because yeah, as you said, like is comparatively thin when it comes to these sort of gimmicks, like there um I, I there's a point i want to make about blizzard uk later that i feel well actually i could probably just say it now like in terms of B- blizzard uk in this match i get a real vibe of like liger and sasuke and all the more dragon and stuff like even just in terms of her moves or like, offense she done quite a few dives and stuff like that and it was um you know she was um like she was quite athletic and stuff like that and i feel that there was she was very good in this sort of jr's model where i think you could have had a really good i i used i used the term super g i think i I think you know what i mean when i say super g in terms of like those sort of classic ultimo dragon no tani liger sasuke matches and stuff like her and chapri asahi together i really really want to see a match between them because i think that would have been a wonderful match and i think that they would have been really good a good foundation to build a sort of promotion or not a promotion but a division around that like a junior team i know we have a junior wayne's belt that's for like 13 year olds on this show but a light heavyweight belt i think you could have done a really really good thing building a, a sort of a a division around blizzard uk and Chaffrey asahi because i think both of them would complement each other really really well and i think they could easily have held with you know the junior wrestling over the time because you think they this in 95 you think of the you know, the stuff that's going out in ninety five, uh in junior wrestling, all the IWGP defences and this is like the start of the J Crown and stuff like that, like it's you know, that that around this time there's there's a there's a high bar and I feel that certainly Chapwit SI, and, and Blizzard UK together could have done something to kind of differentiate themselves from other people by
2: working this sort of style. Mm.
1: Yeah, sorry someone well, actually forgot to mention talk about like mass wrestlers I'm fucking idiots. anyway, go on.
2: I think that's actually I think that's a really interesting point. I think my. I wasn't entirely certain how comfortable Blizzard Yuki was in that mask. Like, I wasn't actually convinced that she felt like. There's something about it. She doesn't actually seem the happiest to be there during this match. I wondered whether she's actually just not bedding in comfortably into the into uh, the mask gimmick. Or yeah, I mean, like it, I that. mean,
1: it isn't even ha- I mean, you get that with certain wrestlers. I mean, even even ones without a mask, like uh, uh, Jay White, uh, when he first started doing the switchblade gimmick, he's grown into it the gimmick more now. Even if I don't like his matches, but like he didn't seem very comfortable with it uh, to begin with. I mean, yeah, even just wrestling in a mask is like if you uh, everyone who, plays like cricket says that like you you start practicing how to play cricket but you need to wear a helmet because if you get hit in head by a cricket ball you will die and mm-hmm. like batting with a helmet on and batting without feel absolutely completely different so I, I can imagine it was probably the same for her I mean she doesn't look the most comfortable we're not in a full-blown Super Liger situation where if you ever heard the story about Chris Jericho being in this really restrictive uh, <laughs> bodysuit making his debut as a master character at the Tokyo Dome and completely stinking the place out but yeah I mean, we will see a bit about more about how Yuki performed in this match but before we do so I know we're not focusing on her as much but Mariko Yoshida I think is certainly someone that we need to talk about a little bit before we get into the match because right, she was so a I... fairly significant figure herself
2: So I love Mariko Ishida. Um, I think she's one of those people where I just I wish that I had seen more of her stuff because what I have seen has pretty much uniformly been really good. Um, But she is she's someone who actually had a bit of um, she had a fair bit of MMA experience at different points in her career. But she actually went kind of all over the place. So she debuted in 1988, um, and she was actually coming back at the point of Big Egg. So we're in November 1994. She'd had a neck injury in 1992 and she'd been out for two years. So Yoshida is actually on the comeback trail uh, when, when she rocks up to this match, so, which I think for a lot of people probably meant that the result wasn't necessarily in doubt. Um, so she had beaten Takako Inoue for the AJW tam- championship which was not even quite there so you had the red belt the WWWA championship which was their top belt and then you had the all pacific belt which was their card title the AJW championship is the the tertiary belt kind of below that yeah very it's confusingly, like the,
1: get... it's like New Japan like the New Japan title and well, it was held it by is... like Yoshihashi or someone
2: well think of it as being the equivalent of like the 24-7 title or something I don't <laughs> but wow. all right maybe not like that Uh, (laughs) but but yeah so that was kind of her on on her way up and she'd had that run with a belt and she is definitely somebody that they've got their eye on she's in a featured match put you know potentially with their big new star for the future when you think about it in context of big egg um but she didn't really come into her own until after this match um because once again people leave ajw and set up all of their own companies um Arsian gets set up by Arja Kong after she leaves in uh, in 1997, Arsian comes along, um, at which point Mariko Yoshida goes there and becomes the head trainer and is pretty much the, she's one of the top stars of that company for a good couple of years. And she completely changes style during that time, so right from the beginning, she was actually really known for um, the Lucha Libre influence, she was doing a lot of high-flying and stuff. Um, You'll see in this match as well, she's certainly not incapable of a lot of sort of the ground-based and the mat work stuff. But eventually, when she got into Arsian, she was a mat and technical, sort of really thought of as being like a technical wizard. And that was the MMA training that was coming through with her as well. So it is interesting to trace back, there has always been a connection between mma and other forms of martial arts even at the times when mma was far less popular than it is today there's always been a connection between those two worlds as well so and she is probably not the best known example of that but it's a sign that that was kind of happening you know all, all, all the way back then as well um i think she's great in this match yeah i was
1: quite surprised because i i think of her I'm more as an Ashton wrestler than AJW I if you like say the name Mariko Yoshida to me I'll think of her being like one of the top people in that promotion rather than being a sort of career mid-carder in AJW so I was actually so I and Ashton being a a more map-based promotion I was quite surprised by not just the um the high flying that she was doing in this match but also the fact that I think she. Pretty much outshone Yuki in a lot of that department in this match. Where well, I think maybe the presentation of Blizzard Yuki would have would have benefited more from her being up against someone who is going to make her look good without necessarily doing a lot of the same stuff, but doing a lot of the um, more eye catching and impactful looking stuff uh, in the match. Um, so I, I found the layout a little bit weird um, for that reason.
2: To be honest, the the booking of this match is just kind of weird in general isn't it? Um, I just wanted to, um, just one slight aside, by the way, going back to my uh, sort of eternal refrain of all of your favorite wrestling moves were invented by Japanese women. Mariko Yoshida, innovator of the air raid crash. You're welcome, Tomaso Champa. I
1: don't. I. 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 I'd, I'd be uh, careful about saying that people have responsibility for Tomaso Champa. Considering on the day of recording the uh, intonable six-hour-long Bella tar cut of um, of Gagano versus Champa live in front of no one at the
2: performance center was, uh dropped yeah, and being... definitely the end of this feud. We promise, honestly.
0: I was going to say, you you were you mentioned about like, all your favourite moves being stolen and stuff like that. I mean, see like the 15-minute section in this where they're just sitting on their knees going, I'm sorry, <laughs> and just like holding hands and stuff. I thought, man, it's, it's it's quite timely that we're doing this match today. And then, you know, when they get onto that lorry and start fighting on <laughs> top of the lorry, like, you know, before it's time.
1: Uh, and then Marco Yoshida says, how can I be so violent but in Japanese? <laughs> Entrances for this are great. Um, I also, I did notice with the name Blizzard Yuki, there's a uh, there's a fan hack of uh, Gen 3 Pokemon called Pokemon Insurgents, which is uh, very good. It's got this dark, gritty storyline about sacrificial cults. And uh, there's a gym leader in that called Yuki, who uses Ice-type Pokemon. Uh, so I, I, I like to think that this is a like very obscure, <laughs> deliberate reference on the part of which, whichever, and let's be honest, gigantic nerd made that game. So, um, Yoshida backstage looks like she's wearing the Swiss Guard away strip. It's um, very... <laughs> <laughs> it's very billowing, she's got a hat which looks like it's from a staging of the Nutcracker
2: It is the best sparkly blue rub with ridiculously like fluffy headgear I have ever seen in my life, it's fantastic
1: She, she looks like she's from an anime about an idol group but who are also cops
2: she, she, She's got
0: a very Officer Jenny vibe
1: Oh she, she absolutely does Yeah and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a Mario Yoshida in every town <laughs> And they all look the same <laughs>
0: I mean, we can all but dream, but um, the, the thing that annoys me about this, though, is that see when she takes off the robe and the hat, her, ma- her outfit doesn't even match. <laughs> no, like any no, no, not remotely.
1: I, I, I <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, OK, I've got this and I forgot to specify what colour I wanted and we're just going to have to deal with it.
2: I'm really loving, actually. She takes it off and that singlet is full, sort of like, it's all, it's spandex, it's super bright colours, it's like... You'd expect to see it on like a nineties kids game show. And yeah, <laughs> what all... isn't
1: this fucking royal blue?
2: <laughs> no, true. These these two looks are incongruous with each other, but both of them hold up independently.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's true. I mean, Yuki's got the um. Why well, we said that, like the gear isn't maybe very flashy compared to uh, what you might think uh, even for some of the unmasked wrestlers on this show I think everyone had new gear for this show but um, uh, Yuki's entrance was so good like yeah.
2: um, oh, this is a sign of how big a deal they consider her to be like, yeah, she what gets they really dancers she gets stunt people she's got acrobatics she's got pyro it's it's fantastic yeah, got... <laughs> you get the traditional um, sting taiko drums
1: um... <laughs> <laughs> she's got lads lads wearing her mask doing martial arts and uh, flips I also love the reveal of the gear she's wearing a a, I I, I wrote she's wearing a Cossack which is absolutely not uh, what she was doing it's a cassock is the uh, (laughs) is the the word which and so she's wearing they are
2: very different things
1: she's basically wearing a bin bag and then two of the the martial arts lads pull it off to reveal her costume and that was, like, uh, very much tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be, and then, like, she uh, comes out doing that, yeah.
0: Did, it, it did kind of remind me of, like, a drag race challenge where, like, the, the, the challenge is that you need to make a dress and then have a bin bag over <laughs> and you have to reveal the dress from the bin bag and, like, and the, you know, the stylish trash couture or something like that. <laughs> I absolutely
2: um, love that.
0: I, I, you also forgot to mention uh, Blizzard Yuki's theme. Blizzard Yuki is coming, motherfucker. Oh, shit, it's, yeah,
2: yeah. it's it is, isn't it? Me. I was wondering
0: honest. where I knew it
2: from. I'll be Shit. honest, I was so busy watching The Acrobats that I genuinely yeah. didn't I, I genuinely didn't even notice the music, which is really worrying. I'm looking at my notes now and thinking, what else did I miss that was important?
0: <laughs> it also goes off in a weird jazz tangent. And <laughs> like, obviously, like, on Raw, when Takamichi Noku would come out or whatever, he'd get like 90 seconds for his entrance. So it but this one goes on for like 10 minutes, so they yeah. just like... Going off on weird tangents and stuff is great It's, it, like, it's a long know, ramp maybe, like, a, a rare Miles Davis cut of like, a really famous song But it's like 82 minutes long is it that? It's, it's like if Kianti. you're lucky The
2: Rock's entrance goes on so long Or his post-match celebrations go on so long That you get to that really gnarly Jim Johnston guitar solo Towards yes. the end Yeah it's
1: like four <laughs> minutes of Jim Johnston just cutting loose <laughs> And that's why it's the best theme Mariko, Mariko Yoshida's theme sounds Out of all the stock overdub music on this show Sounds most like an RPG battle theme imagine fighting Kefka on Final Fantasy 6? Not the final Kefka battle, like the one you have in the middle of the story, before he's gone absolutely start staring mad. Um, Kefka on the shore? Kefka on the shore, for fuck's sake. Um, wow. So the start of this match, um, uh, Blizzard Duki does Arisa Hoshki's Brazilian kick. Just... Uh, just starting with uh, some just absolute mad martial arts stuff um that was that was really cool um but yoshida does um control much of the opening uh doing like handspring elbow uh cross body off top the kind where she uh, as i mean Stalin does it where she kind of steps up from the second rope to the third and then sort of springs off there using her own momentum she does she's clearly very proud of this uh, move because she does it about three or four times in this match
0: yeah, it's uh, there's some really really good offense from her um, in this, but you can clearly see that, you know that um what the handspring elbows and stuff like that they're all taken out of that super junior sort of mold. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just a lot of fun. There's a there's a specific move later that we'll we'll get to that is like literally just ripped out of like. Uh, super T Cops and stuff like that. And it, 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 that was a moment. Where I was like, yeah, this definitely is meant to be like girl Liger, More Dragon, or something like that.
1: I like the uh, the Yoshida. Yoshida does like a monkey flip near the start, and then she does this extraordinary thing where she teases doing another monkey flip, but then like sort of goes over her the other way and does a sunset flip instead. Like that was that was super cool. Something I've genuinely never seen before. So that
2: She's was so uh... agile. It's really impressive how quickly she can switch and change. And oh, yeah, I loved it. I thought, I thought. Yoshida's is one of those people where I think I just I wish that she'd had even more of a career.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's 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 quite interesting actually, where um the extent to which Yoshida is doing the really eye catching stuff in the opening, and Yuki is going more ground based, like mm. th- things like the uh, the big splash to the leg, followed by the half crab uh, figure four leg lock, things like that. I mean, it's like. I'm not saying like masked wrestlers all have to be high flyers because clearly that's not the case, and you have a lot of great masked ground based wrestlers. Um, like I mean, hell, look at uh, look at Mexico. They're not all not not everyone's Rey Mysterio, you know. And look at the stuff Liger was doing later in his career. Like he mm-hmm. when he stopped doing the shooting star press and he was getting onto more like um, Mexican surfboards, maestros type stuff. Um, you oh. know, so uh, like, it's know. quite interesting in the opening.
2: I kind of feel like if your name is Blizzard there's an expectation that you're going to be quite fast and showy and quite changeable. You know, I I imagine that actually flips would be quite in keeping with the character of someone called the Blizzard. And to be fair, you do get a few aerial moves from her. Like, there's a... the psychology throughout this match is really simple obvious targeting leg lots of sort of leg like, submission moves and stuff um, Blizzard does a really lovely little flo- frog splash directly onto Yoshida's leg yeah
1: yeah yeah that's, that's one beautiful, of my favourite
2: beautiful aim really precise Mark Henry really should nice.
1: have uh, done a lot of that shit during the the whole of like imagine this big splash of Mark Henry to leg. you never walk again
2: yeah
1: I, yeah, I, I, I I I think I think you are right with the uh, the idea that like yeah, someone someone with that name with wearing a mask, you'd probably expect more high flying. I would add that Eagle So I was hardly a high flyer, but like um, well true. Uh, but like it's uh, yeah, it's um, some of the stuff some of the stuff Shishida is um, uh, pulling out and like so we've got like double arm suplex, flapjack gutbuster, um she does her sort of step up cross body again, but to the outside, um, really nasty German. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And then <laughs> poor Blizzard Yuki, when she finally gets to do a planter to the outside, the camera fucking misses it. It's, it's,
0: it's proper Age of the Royal Rumble. Oh, <laughs> it?
1: it's totally that. I don't know what it is with the cameramen on this show, but like, there's so many points, it's not just this match either, so Yuki doesn't, uh, is the only one who gets it, but there's so many points at which someone does a real cool looking dive to the outside and the camera thinks that the thing to be doing is focusing on where the people catching her are standing rather than, like, the arc of her body through the air, and, like, they could easily film that because they have someone who is essentially fulfilling a hard camera role so you could yeah. easily have eyes on the ring at that point, but, like, suddenly you've got supplies blizzard Yuki and then you just see the landing, it just looks like she really
0: hurting herself. AEW were atrocious for this a lot. Then. Oh, they, the first two shows, actually, yeah, bloody time. hell! And it, the the first show is where it's like it's literally ev- all the PWG lads doing flippy offense, and they're like cutting to like a Wayne in the crowd who's like uh, got a shocked face and stuff like that, and you you missed like a seven forty splash or something. <laughs> like, fuck's sake, come on! I, I'm just like
1: I'm really annoyed at the current vogue for like. And this this isn't just AEW but like WWE is increasingly doing it as well, but like uh cam camera directors in wrestling thinking that you Actually, want to see the reactions of fans in the crowd more than you want to see the actual acting of the wrestlers in the ring.
2: Yeah, not here for that. I'm the fan. I'm the one with the reaction. Just let me concentrate on the ring. out yeah, I'll I'll do I'll do the work that that child in the crowd is doing for you. There's
1: approximately like three good reaction shots in the history of like crowd reactions. One's the guy at WrestleMania 30.
2: Yes, um, when the street gets broken. Yeah, one yeah. is
1: uh, angry Miz girl. Like, mm-hmm. and the other one is that. Uh, white kid in coke bottle glasses and a very baggy sweatshirt, very solemnly doing the black power salute when the Nation of Domination come out. <laughs> <laughs> come
0: I, would, I would also like to add to this um, my other favourite uh, fan reaction of all time: um, Akabono's wife Bob uh, Bob's versus Akabono. <laughs> She's distinctly un fucking pressed that he's doing this shit again. And it's wonderful
1: <laughs> I, to see. I remember when we talk, talked about that on the uh, on the Triple P. Yeah, that's amazing. But yeah, like get better camera people, wrestling past, present, and future peace <laughs>
2: The only thing that I will say about this match um from a negative perspective is so one of my pet hates is we know that we know that all wrestling moves involve an element of cooperation we we yeah, know that yeah, that yeah, we yeah. know behind the curtain that you're working they're working together to pull off some of these some of these moves you're not supposed to look like it like there's a lot of moments hey where it just there's a couple of you are feeding into another move, but it just it lasts just a split second too long, and it's obvious at one point, you know, the, there's a couple of moves where it's really obvious that people are just waiting to have things done to them. Um, but honestly, part of me wasn't even certain whether that might be Yuki getting used to what she can and can't see out of her mask. Like I, I couldn't really work out exactly what it was. And I, I also feel like it can't be easy for them, um, bearing in mind that they are halfway through a 10-hour show, and the crowd is... I know what we've talked about, about you not necessarily being able to hear a lot of crowd noise at the Dome bloody hell they're wrestling for crickets at this point aren't
1: they yeah it's the crowd the crowd don't seem to be as into this as other matches i I think part of it is the way it was laid out um like i i i I certainly don't think this match is bad it's a good match there's some there's some great stuff in it i don't think it's, it's it's probably my least favorite of the matches we've covered so far for the podcast and that's but like that's a very high bar to clear but i don't think if you're wanting to debut a master character um, of this. I know she, she gets the win in the match, but like, I don't think it, it does her any favours, really.
2: She gets the win off a less exciting move than several of the other moves that Yoshida didn't even try and pin from.
1: Oh, yeah, it's like a sort of uh, uh whispering in the wind, that sort of Jeff Hardy move that he does. It's like a sort of yeah, twisting uh, senton.
0: Because they do a they do magistral near the ends, and it's literally like there were several... like no super junior matches yeah right, for Ultimo Dragon Natani where Ultimate Dragon he basically used the Magistral and that was at the time that was really on vogue where people were really attuned to Magistral's finishing matches because of what he'd done against Natani and stuff like that and um I thought that that worked as a far better finish than the actual one did if he just, yeah, he got
1: a very close to like, that was one of my highlights of the match. Yeah. It, mm, uh, yeah. It, it really did. Yeah. I, I do know what you mean. Like it, it doesn't really, um, yeah. If the finish of the match is like the sixth most impressive move in the match, or like it's certainly, I mean, something like the rock bottom isn't especially impressive, but it's over as a finisher. Cause like, you know, everyone, the rock was really established. Mm-hmm. I don't think this move really looked like it was. I mean, it's pretty good, but you
2: know. I I think that this match is a bit of an anti-climax, to be honest, considering the way that that really dramatic over-the-top entrance introduced Blizzard Yuki as a character. And she is obviously the story of, uh, of the match. And then the match actually starts. And number one, she's not the story of the match because Yoshida's doing pretty much all the most interesting stuff. Uh, number two, the crowd's, dead and it's just kind of not I don't feel like it's really connecting it picks up a little bit more towards the end when some of the dives and things really start start landing but it's it's not quite doing what it needs to to get her over as kind of a a hot young baby face like I say there's a few moments where it's just a little bit clunky it feels a bit cooperative um and yeah it honestly it feels like from the ebb and flow of the match Actually, it feels like the wrong person's going over in the end, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: it does. You know what, actually, I've just thought of a probably a good comparison to make. Um, uh, Hulk Hogan versus Sting from Starcade 1997. You know, obviously, oh, I, think people, I think people were, really? obviously, much more hyped for Sting. you see where I'm going with it. Um, people were much more hyped for Sting than for Blizzard Yuki. But, like the layout of the match kind of put me in mind of it a little bit, just because um, everyone's like, oh, Sting's finally getting to get his hands on Hulk Hogan. It's been 18 months. And like, they really wanted to see it. And then Hogan gets the heat early on and he just keeps beating up Sting and he keeps beating him up and he keeps beating him up.
0: And yeah, I remember, I've ever remember for that match, there was a website that used to do like funny WCW reviews and stuff, like live, so at the time, so it was like current day at that point. And I remember I found one, and it was in Nitro before Starcade, and then he said, this is how Sting versus Hogan should go. And he wrote the entire match out, and it was pretty much Sting just destroys Hogan. Um, the end uh, there's no like, the nwo turn up but sting fights them all off himself none of the wcw people come out sting does it himself and he wins and he does it and all and it was it was really perfectly laid out and it's like the diametric opposite of the actual <laughs> match as to what happens it's like completely opposite and it's like ah.
1: yeah because because i think i think yeah it's, it's like you say so like someone comes up with this like uh impressive entrance like cool cool new gear stuff like that yeah, I, th- I think people probably were a bit seemed a bit nonplussed in the crowd as to why you weren't seeing more of what of what she could do because like Sakia Hasagawa was a very very capable worker. She just didn't get to show yeah. very much of it in this match.
2: Yeah, I think this is just the of all of the matches that you could that you could show someone if you were trying to introduce someone to Blizzard Yuki Sash uh, slash um Sakia Hasegawa, This would not be the match that you'd want to show them. It's it feels like a lot of the components are there, but they're not actually all clicking.
0: I think as well that one of the issues is, is it match 15 you said, isn't it?
1: 13.
0: 13. 13. Like, that, people are, they've set their stall in terms of style. People know what they're getting from a match, and there will be differences and stuff like that, and there'll be like, you know, matches that are a bit different and stuff like that, but you, you have a general gist of the pacing and stuff. Yeah, that. that's you a good point. You know what a match is going to be like. That's a good point. Um, I think as well that she's, she is a bit hamstrung by the fact that Chaparita Asahi was in the first match yeah so people saw Chaparita Asahi do all this amazing stuff and then you've got Blizzard UK who does a lot of the same stuff admittedly not as well as Chaparita Asahi but you know still up there but we're all like well I've seen this six hours ago do you know what I mean like
1: so, but they might have forgotten it if it was six hours ago it was like oh Master <laughs> Wrestlers doing flips <laughs> I've never seen this before we are not wrestling um, fans have the memory of fucking Goldfish anyway <laughs>
0: That is true, but um yeah. So I I don't know. Like um, I did, I did feel that like I think she was a bit hamstrung with the sense that a lot of people were doing very acrobatic moves and like Chaputis I kind of cornered the flips and before. And this is match twelve, thirteen, whatever. And um, people had seen a lot of wrestling, and they I think you, you get this a lot where you go to a show and you're just like, right, can I get to this match? Can I get to the V top tournament or whatever? Do you know what I mean? Like I just want this is this is more of a hurdle. Than it is entertainment because you're just wanting to get this match out of the way so that you could, um, what you know, watch whatever match it is you want. You get you get quite a lot with shows that go over like three four hours or whatever. You're just like right. I just want to get to the end of this. Do you know what I mean? I'll get to the match I watch.
2: I mean, the uh, and, and like you said, the other thing that, that contributes to that as well is the fact that anybody with half a brain who was following this, who, who'd been following the storyline up until this point probably knew who was winning anyway. So if you know that they're debuting this new character and she's uh, and she's going up against somebody who's just coming back from two years of absence with injury. There's probably no stakes there. So you're just like, okay, well, this is the one where we're going to get the, you know, the the new person's going to get the win and then we're going to crack on with the V top tournament. This is probably like the match that you are the least interested in at that point because you've got no, you don't really have any obvious investment.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think, um, I think you've already, um, Got got past the uh, the point at which if this had been the first match after all the kickboxing and amateur wrestling exhibitions,
2: oh I think yeah, people might been have been amazing.
1: more into it. But you've already had some matches um, after that, so uh, then they're, they're, they're not even getting the pop of like, oh shit, wrestling's happening again, you
2: know. I I actually just wanted to make a point about the post match oh, interview yeah, yeah, as well. So because well, Blizzard Yuki doesn't give a post match interview. Um, yeah, yeah. Yoshida gives her gives her interview, and she's you know she's quite well well. She's obviously very disappointed with the match, but you're getting the story from her of, okay, and again, I'm saying this as someone who doesn't understand a word of Japanese, but the body language in itself is telling me what I need to 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 know about this, is that there's a sense of there's a sense of resolve, there's a sense of disappointment, but her sort of repeatedly nodding as if she's kind of reassuring herself. I get the impression that she's saying, It's a kick in the teeth. But onwards and upwards. I get the idea that that's that's what she's going for anyway. If anybody um, who watches this back actually understands Japanese and wants to tell us what they're saying, please do. Um,
0: but well, you know, I was go- I, I was going to say actually, um, I, I I was really intrigued because yes, yeah, she looks really really crestfallen in terms of this as to like you know the the fact that she lost, and it's quite weird because it's like match. <laughs> 12 13 in the card, it's not for a title or anything like that. You kind of like, you know, yeah, it's a mid card match, but clearly it's a big occasion for, yeah. So, I, I'm actually, I looked at um, Caprada, um, once did a review of this whole show, and um, they, they had somebody who actually transcribed about the promo. Oh, I nice. Believe. Yeah, yes, I believe it when decisions went against us with us, the ref was near there, you know. <laughs>
1: for you know for sake! the pitch in
0: a terrible condition oh. um, we just couldn't click. You know, we'll
2: kick on and we'll try and
0: get three points next week. We go again, unbelievable.
2: <laughs> anyway, so the point I was trying to make is that and thank you for that, David. <laughs> um, Blizzard, Blizzard
1: Yuki sent Mike Feeling as uh, Service System Manager.
2: <laughs> guys, the most important thing is that Blizzard Yuki doesn't give an interview. She stands in a doorway with a bunch of reporters and sort of entourage around her. And it's obvious that they're trying to keep her away from some of the from some of the press and she's she looks crestfallen. She looks she looks quite distressed actually. And I you get the feeling that there might be a story going on behind the scenes that you just don't know about.
1: Yeah, because like we said, this gimmick was very short-lived, so she wasn't happy about it or the office wasn't happy with her performance or whatever. She
2: certainly is not happy to have won this match. Um, And again, if anybody listening happens to know what the context for that might be, please let us know. Um, But yeah, it actually left me not... This match actually left me with a bit of a sour taste in my mouth because of that.
1: Yeah, So, yeah, just a kind of weird and puzzling match. Uh, Speaking of puzzling, we'll be uh, now uh, diving into the second sort of, I guess, uh, cultural phenomenon that uh, AJW were tapping into on this show. So uh, match number 18 is what you might, I think it was, specifically termed the idol match um, on this card which was was. uh, the team of uh, Hikari Fukuoka and uh, Megumi Kudo versus Cutie Suzuki and Takako Inoue so we have uh, three promotions being uh, represented uh, Takako Inoue representing AJW Suzuki and Fukuoka being JWP and Megumi Kudo being FMW and basically I think everyone knew what this match was we get like Four, you know, very attractive, very stereotypically feminine idol-type wrestlers from the promotions and stick them all together in a tag match and see what happens. So before we, in case you're not familiar with um, what an idol actually is, um, Sarah has provided a handy primer on this. So, uh... Well,
2: I so here's the thing. I, I don't think that I can particularly do justice to this because idols... And the idea of idols, especially in sort of the position that it holds in Japanese culture, is so huge and all-encompassing that I think it's actually really difficult to get a handle on. Um, there's a 2012 um, report that I picked up, what um, somebody else cited it whilst I was doing the research, so don't quote me on this completely. That said that a couple of it was only a few years ago, about 2012, between 50 and 70% of adverts in Japan used an idol Fuck in some way, hell. shape, or form. It's it's very it's ubiquitous
1: i think we just define I, what an idol is then yeah. really before we don't have to get into it too complex but like
2: um i mean there's a there's a lot of really deep dives into what what an idol is but i think um so there's a guy called um nakamori akia who wrote a book called i want to become an idol quite recently um he literally defines being an idol as a job where you work to get people to like you
1: um, pretty
2: much yeah well yeah and i suppose so essentially it's a it's a whole branch of entertainers um who they cultivate really powerful emotional connections with with, with fans um, and it is actually men and and women so male idols exist but overwhelmingly what you see is women um it's particularly um pop music is one of the areas where they really make those connections so um you see a lot of variations on what you expect an idol to be in people, in bands like Baby Metal, where it's like they're idols but they play metal. Yeah. Uh, it's the same idea, and they're they're legit great as well. Um, and then there's um, but you know there are there are idol troops which are pop bat which are pop bands of like 130 people.
1: Yeah, AKB48 have got like their their membership list is into uh, is into three figures.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Um.
0: So. Do you think it's like? Oh, sorry, I was gonna say, do you think it's like McDonald's franchises? You know
2: how like anybody can set up a McDonald's? And do you think LA, anyone can anyone well, can set themselves up as a member of this idol troop and then eventually yeah, you just have to yeah, have an AKB47 you know, franchise? Well, they you do. do just they just do
1: actually like... have. that uh, well, it's AKB40. 40, AKB47 is the sort of um, tandoori fried chicken that you get on uh, mm. on every high street in the oh, exact well, same fondness.
2: Like, they've, they've set up sort of rival um idol groups for other postcodes as well so that's the uh akibahara um okay that makes,
1: that makes sense.
2: they've actually set up others for different area codes in different places in japan yeah so that is the franchise i suppose yeah the, the b-52s for
1: one <laughs> <laughs> and, and all these uh all Framingham the born and, and, and you and you do have these uh ub40 as well and you do have these um like massive idol groups with like the subsections of these so they perform as like a trio maybe but yeah. that's just like 150th of these <laughs> it's so fucking like it's it's so excessive mm. but I guess yeah. a lot that's the industry
2: yeah but, I mean so pop music is really the most obvious outlet for a lot of them but there's also the, there's a lot of acting um voice work so again there's a lot of links in there to things like animes as well um they seem to mostly exist to kind of sell things they are professional influencers Hmm. of, uh, of, of a kind of unique unique breed really um it often means that their their personal lives are usually either shrouded in secrecy or they're being built up so that they uphold these ideals so the idea is they're quite aspirational characters which means that they have to be seen to be upholding sort of specific values and traits so generally speaking um And again, I'm deliberately being quite, quite sort of broad strokes here, but we're talking about things like youth and beauty and innocence and, uh, you know, a a relative amount of inexperience. In fact, actually, when they start, a lot of the time they'll be sort of deliberately just a little bit awkward or just a little bit, a, a little bit less polished, because the idea is that that helps people to buy into their journey of growth throughout that. And then that actually helps them cultivate more long term support as they grow into their roles. Very
1: similar to wrestling rookies. really.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. So there's a really obvious relationship, and actually, when you look, for example, at the way that um, the the relationship with wrestling is such that even nowadays, if you look at the way that stardom, which I think is one of the most overtly idol-style promotions in, in Japan, to an ex, you know, in, in, at least for some of its wrestlers, when they cut their promos where they say things like, you know, thank you for your continued support, or you know, I'm I'm going to do better next time, please watch, yeah. and all of that. That's the exact same stuff that you're getting from, from idols who are now, you know, increasingly the formats are changing. So it might be that that's just something that they're putting out there on an Instagram story or something mm. like that. But it's it's all that kind of same appeal. Um, it does mean that people's personal lives, the same rules that we've talked about in AJW to do with no drinking, no smoking, no boys, All of that is... It's exactly the same for, for a lot of idols and there have been, especially in recent years as sort of news has opened up a little bit more, um, there have been a lot of stories getting out about the ways in which that leads people open to quite strict discipline and even to, to exploitation in, in some places as well. Um, most ent- most forms of entertainment have those kind of dark sides. I think um, especially in, in Japan, idols are, are have been having one of those moments recently. Um, but the eighties were a really golden age for idols. At the same time as they were a golden age for AJW, and actually, you can usually trace that there's been the relationship between fans and wrestlers, and fans and idols are it's kind of the same. And then you have increasing crossovers with those different between those different audiences. So by the time we get to um, by the time we get to Big Egg, you have several people who are more explicitly in the idol vein. And there seems to be more idols who wrestle rather than wrestlers who have idol characteristics. Mm. Um, do you guys think that's, that's fair?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I think it would... You know it's it's kind of i always find it quite funny when because uh, like the probably the two biggest joshi promotions at the moment or ser- certainly the two that have the biggest uh, financial backing would be stardom and tokyo joshi but yeah, who tokyo are joshi. probably the two most idol type promotions out there but i do find it quite funny when people act like the biggest joshi promotions being the ones that tap most into idol culture is somehow a new phenomenon because it absolutely isn't it, it has historically been the, been the case that the biggest Joshi wrestlers were the ones who had this presence in pop culture with their albums like we said with uh, people people like uh, the crush girls beauty pair um people like that and uh, you know i i think i think it has always been the case and yeah. and even going outside of um of this you know when was WWF at its peak it was when it was most tapping into the cultural zeitgeist in the 80s with the rock and wrestling connection like the uh, the link up with mtv mm. so i yeah I, I i i it's certainly not um uh you know, it's certainly not unique to, uh, to uh, Japan or even uh, just to Joshi. Uh, but yeah, I think that's absolutely, absolutely the case. It is quite funny to see nowadays that stardom tends to play it straight, more than anything, like if we're talking about like an idol type wrestler, um, think of someone like, uh, think of someone like Tam Nakano. Who... Oh, Tam
2: Nakano is the most idol wrestler who ever idled in, especially as far as stardom goes.
1: Yeah, 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 like she's, uh, she's often wearing pink, being very cutesy, no one knows how old she is um, because they want, want to think that she's about six years younger than she actually is, but at the same time, I've heard from numerous sources that she is a very intelligent and astute person who fully knows what she's doing in order to Market herself as this character, and she's the most overt example of it in uh, Stardom, I think. But quite a lot of the wrestlers in the company, and certainly the faces, tend to fulfil various parts of that type of that archetype. Tokyo Joshi plays is a bit less straight because it's you know it's a DDT uh, it's a DDT joint. So yes. I often get the sense that while it might be an overtly idle type promotion as well, there is a sense of self-awareness and reflexivity and piss-taking with it, like the idea of like the so-called three taboos. So no boys, no drinking, no smoking. And they would have a match where, like, those are on the line. And I forget who it was, I think it was Hyper Missou who was being the heel. And uh, so if she lost, then the three taboos would be revoked. But if she won, then she'd, like, thought of four more rules that she wanted everyone to follow. <laughs> <laughs> so she was going to up it to seven. But the funny thing is that, like, I, I don't think those rules were ever actually enforced in Tokyo Joshi. Like, I've definitely seen, um, uh, you know, images of the roster out on the piss, like, slamming highballs in uh, in some a Ginza bar, you know. So um, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting how you have. Um I, idol promotions nowadays and sort of idol type wrestlers um, and and how that sort of uh, how that sort of figures. I mean, I'm, I'll be the first to say that I'm not especially an expert on idol culture or especially into it. And that's really because the type of music that the that uh, idol groups produce I'm generally not into, with the exception of some of the heavy ones so like baby metal we mentioned earlier. I think they're great and it's really funny to find like loads of Vl's just saying, oh, you know, that it's not real metal. Meanwhile, like lots of their favourite metal bands have had them support them and uh, saying no no these girls are great seriously and there's a lot of cleaner I got this um, about people turning around saying actually James Hetfield I don't think you know what you're talking about with regards to metal.
0: Um. Um, as, as you may know I, I have been a um, avid metalhead since I was a teenager. Oh yeah. Um, only only had my me- only sent my metal license back recently. <laughs> I just listened to Eurovision until limited. But <laughs> certainly for a good 15 years I was very much into my metal. Take it from me. Take it from a guy who's been to see all the bands that you can think of, right? If, if there's a metal band that you really like, I've seen them, right? I I'm I I can be classed as an arbiter of taste, right? Baby metal are fucking great, right? <laughs>
2: are
0: and um, they are um, a bunch of schoolgirls who get to tour massive arenas make lots of money and play lots of metal riffs and dance about and go yay and who wouldn't love to do that That's literally
2: the dream it's pretty great
1: what i want is a kind of inverse baby metal where instead of like j-pop vocals over death metal backing it's the other way around so i want some like proper death growls over like the same sort of shit as yuka sakazaki's entrance theme or something
2: I'd I'd totally listen to that. I'd, I'd also, the thing is I, idols are so well established as a trope now as well because it's a you know, the ways in which they the, the ways in which they connect with people are to say are, are continue to change but it's there's a, a well established set of ideas there, which mean that everybody's now playing around with them as well. So, yeah, you've, you've got f- a lot of people who are playing with the ideas of being idols as much as you've got people who are actually just sticking with it a bit more.
1: Yeah, you've got I, you, there is an idol group for every taste, really. They're not all sort of Tamil types there. I mean, you've got Necronom Idol who uh, split up but uh recently but they're sort of uh, I, I don't know what their music's like because i've never heard any of their songs sorry matt but uh, if, if you're listening but um their aesthetic is is very sort of gothic um there's also a group called bandmaid who i'm i'm quite fan fond of um <laughs> they're, they're really fucking good so they're like there's, there's something very like
2: got much better after queen sir <laughs> that name is already taken you know there was
0: there's quite a big single by band uh, like feed the world you know remember it? you know it's quite
1: quite big at the, the time uh, that band made very good video. There's something very likeable about this like tiny Japanese girl in a maid's uniform like playing this really technical metal riff on a massive fucking rickenbacker that's as big as she is. So that that's basically a sort of shorthand guide to um, what idol wrestlers might be like. But I think just uh, moving on from that, just to tell you a little bit about the individuals in this match and what their background is and how they came to occupy such an archetype. So uh, Sarah, take it away.
2: So... I think the person in 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 this match whom you would most obviously look at and go, yes, that is what that is my understanding of a wrestling idol is the the one, the only Cutie Suzuki. Yeah. Um, A moment for everyone to go, oh, Cutie.
1: She she is. She is very (laughs) adorable.
2: (laughs) She's adorable. So. You'll remember from previous episodes when we were talking about um, JWP and LLPW that um, Jackie Sato and Shinobu Kandori parted ways and um, Kandori went off and formed LLPW. Um, Jackie Sato um, kind of redeveloped JWP into into its own thing. Cutie um, Suzuki had actually been with... Um, the jwp in its very earliest form um, and she stayed with jackie sato after uh, after that split um, which makes a lot of sense because jackie sato was the leading the group who described themselves as the entertainers versus kandori who was far more sort of serious focused on the more the the, the shoot fighting element of that and that's exactly what she is so cute suzuki had to be honest she has a little bit of a reputation for being pushed in the company slightly beyond her talent, purely on the basis of her looks, um, which feels a bit unfair. Because actually, the more the more research you do about Cutie Suzuki, and one thing that really wound me up when I was looking her up before this, is there's a lot of misogyny inherent in the way that a lot of predominantly male uh, authors have written about her and have written about the way that she's presented. Um, Yes of course she is obviously a very attractive woman who dresses in this very sort of overtly feminine way. It's very white, it's very frilly, fluffy, you know there's kind of almost this sort of virginal idea going on Um, virginal being exactly the word that was used on the god awful website called thehairpull.net or something that I just... Oh god
1: I really wish you had not told me about this website.
2: It's a. I believe the tag Line, uh, the the tagline for the website described it as being for all of your cat fighting, women's wrestling, and hair pulling needs, or something. Did like Joey that. Styles set this up? It was, it's something along those lines. But anyway, it was, it was creepy, and it was just like she looked so virginal, but then she'd fight like a lion. You'd be like, what's wrong with
1: you? That is literally a JAV title.
2: Yeah, it's really <laughs> difficult. Um, it, it's and it's really hard to get past that when you start looking at Kiki Suzuki Is that idol wrestlers are very much leaning into that kind of that attractiveness side of them and it does mean that a lot of people who have written about them have either gone quite honestly sounding a bit pervy when they write about them about how perfect and wonderful they are or you get the classic misogyny of well she wasn't even that good she only got pushed because of of being pretty Um, and actually neither of those things is fair because you cannot tell me that she can't wrestle so you can't... You know, there's a lot of sort of discourse that basically says that you know you can't be pretty and competent. That's pretty much all that comes down to is that you can't possibly be an attractive woman but also have you know anything else about you that makes you competent at your job. Um, and I think that especially amongst some of the sort of the the cooler or the more more serious rest, um, sort of wrestling commentators, there's almost a bit of an inherent distaste yeah and, and almost an instinctive dis, dis, distaste for kind of what 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 someone is when they present themselves like that um but cutie suzuki is probably the best known most exemplary sort of idol um there's a kind of a ballet inspired link to her looks um but she is she had this huge mainstream appeal. Um, she, uh, so she appeared in films. She gave voice. She did voice work. She did a, a a lot of sort of more popular stuff, including a game for the Sega Mega Drive. Will now follow a brief interlude where George is going to tell you about his adventures with Cutie Suzuki's games.
1: Yeah, Sarah, Sarah does not have really the least interest in video games, actually, besides beat ups, which to be fair, this game is. But um, uh, so I, w- I was deputized to do the, the uh, video game part of the Cutie Suzuki research, which I've uh, which I present to you now. Um, here's my dissertation. So the game is called Cutie Suzuki and a Ringside Angel, and it came out for the Sega Mega Drive in 1990. It was the second wrestling game with an all female roster after a uh, Dump Matsumoto game in. 1986 which i had not heard of before um researching this and now i want to obtain a copy of it more than anyone in the world um our friend jose actually has a copy of this game uh, he's, he's quite the collector of um or old, old wrestling shit and video games which uh, this uh, sort of fulfills both criteria so um i didn't know what the cutie suzuki game actually was it turns out it is just a wrestling sim um i thought it might be a platformer or something like that or one of my one of my favorite uh, wrestling games uh uh Patrol for the game boy where you it's a side scoring beat beat-em-up where you play as like the rock or triple h or the undertaker but you're just beating up random goons in the corridor <laughs> um but no it's just uh she's the only actual licensed wrestler on it so there's a roster of eight wrestlers including her uh profiles their height weight and vital statistics so that's all, all good and healthy Aww. um yeah i know and um the uh the there's some real Fire Pro energy to these um, obvious, very thinly veiled knockoff versions of real wrestlers. So we've got uh, Megadeth Saito, which is one of my uh, uh, favourite yeah. ones, who's seen choking someone with a chain. So that's obviously Borna Um My other favourite ones are Lighting Harada, uh, which I believe a off the 60s boxer Fighting Harada, um, Gunzo Yama, which is where, and Kingdom Kato So these are all um, sort of knockoffs of famous wrestlers in the game. Uh, eight wrestlers Wrestlers is might not seem like a very wide cast of characters, but it was actually relatively standard for the time in terms of uh, fighting games. Um, I remember there was a WWF game of around about this time, which had I think six wrestlers on it, or uh, or something like that. Um, so um,
0: yeah. I, I know that um, WWF Raw had eight because i had that for the game boy yeah
1: you 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 can't just uh you can't just go and download the gangrel dlc off of uh off of the playstation store within like three days of the game coming out um but yeah so i mean uh I've, i've not managed to play the game but i've seen uh youtube videos of people playing it um it's very hard to get a grip on whether the game is actually any good um from those videos i understand that it's not especially good but there weren't really any good wrestling games at uh, at that point uh, but it's quite an interesting cultural artifact and also the uh, title screen has the words welcome to exciting world on it so I thought that
2: was uh, um, uh, very good I would follow Cutie Suzuki into an exciting world I feel like she's someone that I it's all part of the act. It's very much all part of that. But I feel like she's somebody that would go out of her way to just kind of make you feel at home.
1: Yeah, I th- I think so. That's the thing. Actually, when we talk about like how cute all the resters are, it, like it's very hard not. Uh, you-, you want to resist falling into trap of like infantilizing you know East Asian women, which is uh, something that happens rather too much. Um, but Absolutely. I think if we're describing characters in those terms, it's important to note that this is. We're just talking purely in uh, terms of like the deliberate effect these characters are trying to convey.
2: So uh, I think Cutie there's a very, Suzuki is there's definitely there is a, yeah. there's a very shrewd woman behind Cutie Suzuki, the character who is controlling everything. Yeah, and
1: someone who yeah. is, or, or you know, however much input these wrestlers have into their characters at the very least they are very very skilled at, uh, at portraying them even yeah. if that's not necessarily their uh, their personality in real life
2: i mean cutie um despite sort of this reputation for being sort of pushed beyond her beyond her abilities um which again i will say is unfair look at her finisher the cutie specialist really cool yeah um she she never actually won any of the sort of major singles gold in the promotion. She was a kind of a repeated tag champion. She won it I think um, with several different partners. Um, but she is actually a really good sort of sympathetic face in peril, and perhaps that's because of this kind of character that she portrays.
1: But very small as well. That's the other thing about it. yeah.
2: She's really good at ta- she's really good in tag matches, um, as I think we're going to see here. But she. There's some great singles matches involving her as well, and I would really recommend seeking out a few of them. And we will be, I will be putting together sort of a, a playlist or a set of recommendations for every for sort of a lot of the wrestlers on on these shows at least. Yeah. Um So we'll we'll post those on I social mean, nearer the time, and it is really worth seeking out because she's great.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely not saying like. Meltzer's opinions are the be-all and end-all. I certainly think you should maybe watch some wrestling and form your own. But, like, Cutie Suzuki's got a five-star match from the Wrestling Observer. Like, you can't tell me that this is someone who was carried... Like, you can't be carried to a five-star match, you know what I mean?
2: No, no, I I think you're absolutely right there.
0: As well as that, um, as you mentioned, obviously, about games, um, obviously, tailing off from Cutie Suzuki's game. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: there was an Onita game as well that had <laughs> Megumi Kudo very prominent on the front cover for the Super Famicom. No, that makes sense. It was very much just, it was like a Streets of Rage thing, but you could go like Megumi Kudo that
1: um, sounds great.
0: or Onita or um Go Tarzan Goto, Ricky Fuji and Sambo Isako. Uh, Combat Toyota is the boss. Yeah. Oh fuck yeah. So when you're when you're um when you're Megumi Kudo the boss is Combat Toyota, which is just a, a great touch. Um, That's perfect. Some of the names here are amazing. Ryuzo Re- yashigen Keller Marshall Bark. Um,
1: <laughs> this Nuff- is very much. This is I've got. I'm getting Big Todd Bonsales energy
0: from these names. giantonio Inoba. Oh, <laughs> wonder who that's meant to be. <laughs> masked Bondage. Is one. Wow. And then um, Discover Love. These are turning into Gravure titles. I'm not going I lie. mean, then yeah, you have Masked Bondage
1: Two, Masked Bondage Three, Masked Bondage W. <laughs> um yeah Look, so uh,
2: um, I've got all the time in the world for for, for Cutie Suzuki. Um and putting her with someone like Takako I know it is a really wild, it is a really good choice for her cause she so she debuted in 1988 and she's the she's sort of the AJW person. Um so she Again, mostly a tag specialist. Um, she's pretty much the AJW direct counterpart to Cutie Suzuki, except that whereas Cutie is generally, she's much more on the the kind of innocent side. Takako is re- it kind of ramps up the sex quite a lot in terms in terms of her character. The kind of a, a bit of sexiness and a bit of bitchiness as well. Like there is something quite, and, and I use that word advisedly in, in inverted commas. Um, she. So she's an interesting case because she actually failed her first AJW audition. Um, so she she had a bit of a break. She trained with Mayumi Azaki for a bit, actually, um, founder of Oz Academy. Um, when Azaki signed for JWP, she invited Takako Inoue to go with her. Takako refused because she wanted another shot at AJW. She still saw that as being like the place where everybody had to be. And eventually she was accepted to AJW in October 1987. She debuted during the following year and, um, I think it's really interesting when you look at kind of the quality of some of the people who didn't get in first time and who might have ended up going and looking elsewhere. Yeah. Like the the selection process for getting into AJW was was not certainly not forgiving at that point at all. Um, she has this kind of running running beef um and sort of love hate relationship with Kyoko Inoue um who is. Much bigger than her, um, and she actually wins her her first title from Kyokuenue in 1991, which she then holds for a year. So at that point, she's like 22 or something like that. She's certainly not been wrestling that long relative to the push that she gets, um, but she's someone that they're looking at and. Basically, the, the, there's dollar signs in everybody's eyes when they look at her, and they're like, yeah, no push her, she's worth it, because um, she's a great worker and she absolutely has that a, a look that attracts a lot of mainstream appeal. Um, she fits the bill for someone who's going to be a, a, a big a, a big draw in the future. Um, eventually, then she ends up. Um, Kyoko Inoue is no relation. Um, but yes, they, it's a
1: very it's a very common name.
2: Yeah, yeah, but they uh, and they put them together. Eventually, they become a tag team with the delightful name of Double Inoue. I just love it. Just love that. It's a great
0: name. I try to think of, like, other... Because I'm sure there's another. The Andersons are quite good for that.
1: Oh, yeah. There was at least three of oh, them, ah, were yeah. in there? But none of them were actually related, were they? Yeah, no, they weren't. Say nothing of the Dudley boys. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um but yeah, so she... In terms of how how Takako fits into this, um, she had also done a lot of modelling. She did a lot of photo shoots. She, she released a pop single in 1991. Um, it didn't do as well as some of the others. You know, she's she's not going to trouble like the Crush Gals in terms of hit singles or anything. Um, but I. Again, during the course of this research, God knows what sort of watch list I'm on for the things that I found. But um, uh, on Amazon, I came across um, the uh, the sales page for a copy of her photo book, which I think was about a year after Big Egg. I think it's about 1995. Um, And the photo book is called Body Oil. Um, And on the... (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. So on the cover, she is wearing nothing except for a tiny pair of denim shorts, um, and the, the the lettering of the title "Body Oil" is just about sk- like sort of skimming like her actual nipples on the photo. Like that's pretty much the only. You, you thing can you can, can still see boob. Oh yeah, no, like. there's, a, there's a, yeah, um, but she is. So I suppose whereas
1: cutie yeah, is just for, <laughs> <laughs> for, for a friend
2: ah <laughs> oh, i'm sure that you can google it i mean be, I, I, I mean that, that's the point about that uh, was on amazon it's not going to be hard for you to find that's
1: the point about googling actually we mentioned Mayumi Miyazaki just now um uh, if you google her or cutie suzuki uh probably do so with the safe search on uh, just because her <laughs> and um uh, Miyazaki and cutie suzuki did have what i shall term a sapphic photo shoot which you can mm-hmm. uh, which you can uh, probably find and uh, I, d- I did wonder if that was an un- unlockable uh, minigame in uh, Kita Suzuki No Inside Angel, but apparently not. And they probably wouldn't have had the graphics anyway.
2: But Takako is she's not de- she's not particularly dainty, and she doesn't necessarily. Um, a lot of other idol wrestlers really try to affect youth, um, and she doesn't go in for that quite as much. Um, she is she's quite physical in terms of both the way that she presents herself and the fact that she goes in a bit more for the obvious kind of sex appeal um, but also the fact that she's just really violent like that is her her entire thing is that she is violent and she's sexy and she has no problem with playing up both of those things so her music um, oh uh,
1: the hell yeah oh, it's just theme. so good <laughs>
2: so, Takako Inoue's theme music the title is She's a Knockout and if one was to google the full set of lyrics um, for this um, you would be truly impressed the bit that I remember is something to do with like um, she... not, don't worry don't oh, worry oh, don't okay. worry I'm he doing it right hard. now
1: Um, So yeah, the lyrics to um, Takako Inoue's uh, theme, She's a Knockout. I'll just do the um, the, the first verse. She was dressed for a swim, but there wasn't a pool. She said her favourite game was bending the rules. She was a heavy-duty, bathing beauty gladiator queen. I asked her to dance and she said okay. Then she shows me some moves. She really blew me away. She dislocated my spine. I knew I had to make the lady mine. Hey,
0: Macarena. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh fuck it out! It's the, the song. I'm really glad this of all the entrance themes on this show didn't get dubbed over by Final Fantasy six music.
2: It's great. I mean, these the, these two women know how to make an entrance, but it's um, I just find them a really in, they're a really interesting pairing because in some ways they're kind of. I mean, they're obviously two sides of the same coin. Uh, they don't quite have matching gear, um, but they've both very much got you know they've got a lot of white going on. It's that they're, they're as near as damn it. I would yeah, say.
1: it's like if you if you think about the difference between, in demeanor, if you're again if you're a Stardom fan, think of it the difference between someone like Riho, who is very small and adorable and innocent, and someone like Sumire Natsu, who is very much um, you know emphasizes her own sex appeal. Um, mm. uh, more,
2: you know. Riho and Mizki, who I have been known to actually get confused from a distance because their gear is so similar. Didn't to help each they used other. to fucking
1: tag together as well.
2: And against each other, which is yeah, even yeah. more confusing because sometimes you couldn't work out who whose tag partner was yeah. who. Um, their gear is basically identical, but there's a lot of sort of white and frilly and, and going on. And there's a really obvious sort of lineage back into people like Cutie Suzuki. And it, it's really interesting that. You see more equivalents of Cutie Suzuki nowadays than you do of Takako, anyway. Uh,
1: I th- I think it depends where you look, but um, like uh, yeah, I, th- I think you could probably you probably make the uh, argument certainly in certain certainly promotions. In some, yeah,
2: certainly in some of the some of the bigger and the better known promotions. Yeah. yeah. So
1: uh, moving on to the next uh, the the team they are facing.
2: Well, so first of all, I want I want to take you back to nine to the nineteenth of January, nineteen eighty six. Bear with me, this is going somewhere. Um, so back in the days of the endless churn of would-be AJW wrestlers, this particular tryout day had 500 applicants, so 500 young women turn up to, uh, to audition for this, eight of whom are selected. I'm going to give you a select combination of their names and we're going to see who you recognise. Um, so we start with Cougar Kamiya, and Mika Takahashi. No? Crickets, okay. Yeah, basically. Ray Amada, whom you may have briefly heard of, has turned up elsewhere in other Joshi matches that you've probably seen. Um, Kaoru. We've already talked about her once, haven't we?
1: We have, yeah. That Kaoru's still wrestling.
2: Yeah. Bison Kimura.
1: Hey! We've talked about her. <laughs> we have talked about her at great length, haven't we, David?
2: Yeah, David's got it bookmarked. <laughs> um Arja Kong. Next name on this list followed...
1: <laughs> Diddy <he> wrestler,
2: <laughs> <laughs> And crucially Followed by Megumi Kuda So And Combat Toyoda As well Now Only a couple of these names Have already been on this show Because we've associated them With, with AJW So Arja Kong Will crop up later In the VTOP tournament But she's the AJW champion In 1994 um, Bison Kimura We have already discussed um, Kairu's already been on here In a much earlier form um, yeah. So, Magumikuda is, let's face it, that as as sort of entrance classes go, that's a bit of an all timer when you look at some of the people that you've got there. Um, she's Magumikuda is 16 when she goes in with that with, with that class. Um, for some some people, wrestling just came n- quite naturally to them and, and she wasn't actually one of those people. Um, she struggled with a lot of the, the training and I think in a place where you've got so many people applying all the time, I think you could probably get left behind quite easily so it gets to 1988 and there's no reason given but ajw basically sort of quietly lets her go um so she never really got a a chance to do much in that company um and then so she's about 18 when she gets let go she goes and works as a kindergarten teacher what yeah which is interesting considering what happens to her later because in 1990 um David's messiah um, at Sushi Anita um, is putting together a women's division for FMW because he thinks that all people should be able to kill themselves in inventive ways with mass <laughs> entertainment. So he decides that he's going to have a, a women's division. He's mostly he's got a few rookies signed up, but he needs some more people to come in and kind of, be, uh, and kind of work with them. And. Um, and he asks Megumi Kudo, as well as a couple of other people, including Combat Toyota, to come over to the company. Um, so in the book um, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle um, by um, Pat LaPrade and Dan Murphy, which I think I've already cited a couple of times over the course of this. Um, I specifically want to make clear that these are their words and not mine, because they describe her as a beauty in a world of brawlers and. Um, she quite quickly became the sort of the centerpiece of Anita's women's division. So she was actually originally brought in... um Mugubi Kuda, Combat Toyota and Raybon Amada, who, again, in that same class, so those three from this class, um, they were brought in as attacking heels, specifically like marauding heels coming in from outside. And they were brought in basically to work with some of the new rookies who were there. Um, And it's quite obvious that within sort of the first few months, um, Anita's looked at them and gone, yeah, no, that's a face. Um, So they've gone, they've looked at them and gone, look at her she's not going to get away with being a heel compared to the way that say ajw usually worked with sort of the that dynamic of your younger kind of more conventionally attractive baby faces and then your bigger slightly older women tended to be heels he's looking at her and going she's she's not she's not a natural heel at all um so before long she's sort of the baby face centerpiece of of this burgeoning women's division um in she was actually involved in the first mixed tag match that I can find evidence of in Japan which I thought you might be interested in where she was in a tag team with Ricky Fuji um in, a, in an <laughs> FMW event. That's um, that's
1: that's a hell of is Ricky Fuji yeah. still wrestling. He's like
0: Oh yeah, he must be. I mean like it's so weird like, that FMW I mean like Ricky, Ricky Fuji, I'm pretty sure he is still wrestling. His gimmick was is that he rips off Ricky Morton. Is that right? <laughs> sure that's, his gimmick.
1: that's amazing. Dad. What did Gibson do? Folks,
0: sake? I know, but um, like FMW, I don't know if you're aware of like, the 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 origin story of FMW. But basically, um, Onita he broke his leg in old Japan, um, hmm. and then was let go by the dojo because well, he broke his leg, um, but. I can't remember what he did afterwards, but there was a couple of years where he'd retired and all that and he wanted to come back and he tried to get back into old Japan and they said no. And New Japan didn't want him either. So what he did is he formed this independent company and he was literally just um, anything, anything that will sell tickets. I don't care. So, for example, it was, uh, the, the, the reason it's called Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, that's what FMW stands for, the reason it's called that is that the, the original uh, shows where Anita taking on like judoka and like taekwondo guys and stuff like proper martial arts like pro sort of proto ufc sort of stuff where he would fight against these judoka and stuff like that and from out of that he 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 realized he he mixed it with memphis because he'd worked in memphis for a while where he was like right we can do these sort of uh, matches with judoka and stuff like that and as well as that we can do the memphis concession stand brawls that's literally the entire inspiration for fmw but he would sign anyone who he thought had a name. So, like, an idea of a Megumi Kudo and a Combat other coming in, for example, you know, you're saying about how, like, Megumi Kudo is a face because she's pretty. That very much sort of falls in line with his if we can get a pretty face who can kind of capture that I- idol market, that's sort our of Joshi market, we'll do that because we just need to get as many people for. Because they were the yeah. first ever indie in Japan. There was no indies before them. They, they literally invented the indie and they were the first ever to do it. And then... But and it was just like anything any wrestlers that were freelance or whatever, he would gladly um have them and work with them and use them, use their name value to build up in a way that you know, a New Japan or old Japan, kinda of course and the idea that they're New Japan or old Japan. He didn't have that and he used anything and the, the women were a big part of Because Makumi Kudo was essentially the the female Anita. That was a role. Yeah. She yeah, and it's just a case of, you know, well, we've got a, we've got one Anita, why can't we replicate this for another division and kind of tap that market? Yeah, you, one you, thing
2: that I would so. say is that um, Kudo and Toyota aren't particularly names when they come in to FMW, but I think Anita saw the potential for them there. And to be honest, one way or another, if they're coming in with a bit of the pedigree of having been like trained by people like Jaguar Yakota and the AJW Dojo, you can probably use that as the basis for, for, for building someone up, I would say. Yeah, thought. I mean,
1: like, Anita... Peter wasn't a big name when he formed FMW, he would become a big name. But like he was a sort of all Japan undercard guy, he was like all Asia tag champion. But like that was that was it. And then he got injured, he couldn't work that style anymore. And but like it's kind of like say some like undercard WWE guy. Say, like, I don't know, fucking Fandango, like, resigned from WWE and then formed this promotion where he was doing mad shit, like, fighting, like, I don't know, judokas or sumo or something. Like, you probably watch it. Because, like, he's got enough of a name. that Like, oh, I remember this guy from from, uh, that promotion. Like, this... Kite seems kind of interesting. I'll see what he's doing. So I guess, like, it's the same with Kudo and Toyota doing uh, the types of matches, as so i will explain in a minute, that they certainly wouldn't have been doing in AJW.
2: Oh, amen. So they had... Um, there was obviously an attempt to, to... And to be honest, largely successful, to build up especially Kudo as you're kind of the 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 idol-ish kind of babyface babyface wrestler with that mainstream appeal. So 1992 again, a bit of a banner year for her. She releases an album, and she appears in she appears in a film as get this a young woman who takes up wrestling so that she can pay the bills for her children. Um, <sighs> young struggling mother turning to wrestling to pay the bills who'd have thought it
1: keep on rolling (laughs) the
2: wrestling Ally McBeal
1: (laughs) (laughs) single female wrestler (laughs)
2: Um, but Anita had kind of taken the strategy of bringing in some people who didn't who specifically didn't fit with AJW for one reason or or, or another Um, but in 1992 again probably on the back of some of this success um, Megumi Kuda and Combat Toyota go to Anita and say that they want to challenge, the, they basically want to go and challenge the AJW women, just to prove that they that they can make it, uh, and just to prove that they're on their level. And from the sources that I was looking at, they basically suggested, can we please go to AJW and call out Bull Nakano and Akira <laughs> Good strategy.
1: Do you know
2: what? Do you know what? Fair play to it's them. A it is. It's a It is. Um And... He he said yes. Like he put in the phone call and they booked the, uh, and they booked the call. Um, Kuda took the pin from from Bonacana, but at least it took a top rope guillotine leg drop. Like she had to try to beat her, so it's it was a you know contested match. Um, and from there, um, the two of them, Toyota and Kuda, start rocking up sort of from time to time in AJW to start basically just to challenge those top teams to be people who they can bring in probably Anita's got an eye on the fact that they'll bring some fans back with yeah. them who might start checking out some more of I think their they main
1: evented the first Dream Slam
2: yeah Dream Slam 1 and Dream Slam 2 um, in 1993 they they appeared on both of them and actually in December 1993 Megumi Kuda had challenged Aja Kong for the red belt so she'd been brought in and she'd been put in main event matches in AJW um, and I'd just love to think if she'd if she hadn't been let go by the AJW Dojo in 1988, would she have ever gotten a title shot? Like, would they have ever pushed her to that level?
1: Maybe, maybe not, to be honest with you. No. If you. If you think of, like, how people who debuted in 1980... I mean, Bison Kimura was uh, in her uh, class at the dojo. Bison Kimura wasn't getting uh, matches of that calibre at that at that stage, and she was an excellent worker. Mm. So uh, it, it's, it's, very, it's very interesting. I mean, the thing is about Kudo is that, like... And we talk about there being types of idols for for all taste, She's definitely you known as the deathmatch idol.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. SMW is really pushing the boundaries in terms of what certainly women's wrestling, what what women were allowed to do, what women were able to get away with, and it was a. I think it was a place where women must have looked at and gone, Yeah, no, I don't fit in with any of this. I, I don't fit any. I don't fit in with any of these guys. I'm going to go over there and blow myself up for a living. Yeah,
1: I mean, like, I mean, I, I, if you've ever listened to the Pura podcast episode, I'm going to say episode two, which was David's first match, it was um, mm-hmm. Combat Toyota versus Megumi Kudo in the um, uh, Exploding Barbed Wire match, which I think was Toyota's retirement match. And, like, if you haven't seen that before, like, go out of your way to check it out. It is...
2: Incredible. Uh, yeah,
1: it, it's, it's it's so good. Like, the psychology of the match it's absolutely great. And the I think the appeal of Kudo... Was that you have this really pretty woman who was doing like just real sick shit, like uh, like bleeding a lot, going into barbed wire, getting blown up, things like. I think the incongruity of her good looks with this kind of stuff, I think, was part of what sold her as as a as a hot uh, hot property.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, uh,
0: if, I've yeah. been, it's quite interesting that we've never. Um, it's not really a thing anymore where you get these sort of deathmatch women anymore. I would say, I mean, it's not like AJW is all like Fujinami Muga hold. I mean, it's not, <laughs> no. you know, there oh, no, they were standing each of with scissors a, and stuff. But oh,
2: yeah, they love a good yeah, girl. Yeah, well. they,
1: they won't quite go into that. I mean, there are a few. You still get like, um. I mean, Tam Nakano used to do a uh, uh, deathmatch. I mean, her being another Onita uh, pal. Um, I mean, they did have that exploding bat deathmatch in stardom um, a couple of years ago. The one where Io Shirai was. Um, tagging with Tam and just looked like she was absolutely bricking it throughout the enti- uh, entire entire uh, promo. Uh, Rita Sarah and Ice Ribbon as well does a lot of um, of uh, deathmatch stuff. And she, she's, again, someone who is like conventionally attractive and is just doing things like getting slammed on barbed wire boards and, uh, and uh, stuff like that. So you, you get a bit of it now, but like not really on as big a scale as you were doing. But then you don't get deathmatch wrestling on as big a scale as you used to when FMW was selling out Kawasaki Stadium. So, you know.
0: Yeah. And I... Because I was going to say, with this, it's a case of, like, with with these sort of matches, with FMW and stuff like that, I think the thing I really liked about it is that it is very non-discriminatory in the sense that, you know, there is that sort of thing of, you know, these conventionally attractive women bowling themselves up and stuff like that. But they never sort of view it that way. They view it as we are sporting competitors. We're here, you know, this this is the match we want to do. Mm-hmm. And they wrestle, you know, it's just treated exactly the same as, a, as an Anita match. Um, with the same sort of gravitas and levity and stuff like that to it and it's it holds its own in the sense that they it, it was um because there, there's a couple other ones there's ones where like shark to sheer and stuff like that, that yeah did, that could did and all that and they're all legitimately good main events and they could main event and they people accepted them in that status you know they accepted them as that sort of main event where they could have these sort of matches and it wasn't treated as a sort of a a curio, or, oh no, they shouldn't be doing this, you know, they're women, or anything like that, they were, look, we're wrestlers, we are, you know, we're an FMW, this is FMW's thing, we're part of the roster, and this is what we do, and we do it really well, and they were able to do that, and that's what I really love about it, in that it's, literally, it is, um, it is, uh, obviously what I'm looking for, uh, gender neutral, in the sense that it's not a women's exploding barbed wire match, it's just an exploding barbed wire match, and it's, it's really great. It's just it, it's just they, they don't count out to that so much. It's just a case of it's just a fantastic match and they they get the intricacies of the style so much that even like most death match people these days don't get. And it's just, it's just mad. The FMW
1: was very unique in in the sense that it had a women's division at all yeah. in that time. Like men's and women's wrestling traditionally has been very segregated in Japan. This is why we're talking about a women's wrestling show. Um this does not mean that I think uh New Japan should have a women's division, fuck off. But
2: um No, no, that, that opinion needs to burn.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because they're not going to treat it with the same level of gravitas that um, that I can't believe I'm saying this. A progressive uh, female ally Atsushi Anita, uh, did back in the back in the nineties.
2: Uh, we talk about them being known for all of those kind of mad sort of prop info, you know, prop involving spots and things like that. Makumi um, Miku Kuda, again. Japanese women invented all your favourite moves. Um, She's the innovator of some of the we probably. Is it my favourite finisher of all time? It's probably up there. Um, the Kodomi Valentine is gnarly as hell. So it's um, uh, you might have seen it before in the um, so Chili Melissa, who was Mariposa in Lucha Underground. Um, it's it's her finishing move. She calls it the Butterfly Effect. Um, but the Kodomi Valentine basically involves holding someone. Oh, someone else describe it because it yeah, to me it looks like death. That's amazing. Like, thing.
1: It's like you pick them up by the arms and they're they're sort of on your back, but their head is facing towards the floor and then you kind of just drop them, really. You might also know it as uh, uh, Gregory Helms uh, called it the Vertebraker. Um, uh, yeah. Homicide called it the Cop Killer um, in uh, ROH. So there's, there's actually a really funny story about, because uh, I think... Gregory Helms used it in WCW a little bit and uh, yeah, yeah, when that, he like became the it. Hurricane in the WF, he like pulled it out on like a Jama Mat on Sunday Night Heat and when he got backstage the producer was like never do that move again. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> it is very gnarly and dangerous looking.
2: It is, but every now and then you will get a wrestler who just shoves it in one of their matches. So I think it was some point last year um, in one of his title matches, Seth Rollins pulls out a Kodomi Valentine. He fucking did as well. A, yeah, it's the last the thing good is, thing he ever did. <laughs> but people like Seth Rollins can get away with it because they're at that point where it's like, well, what we're going to do, mate. So they, yeah. you know, sometimes they will just pull, they they will just shove things like that into matches because they know that they won't get, they they know that you know they can just about get away with it yeah him.
1: it's like triple h blasting the undertaker in the head with his steel chair and just eating
0: the 10 grand fine yeah 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 thing. It's,
2: it's really good stuff um but
0: um, i would like to see a, a similar tactic taken with the steiner screwdriver you know Yeah, yeah i would like to see some random short like i don't know um it would be like ricochet versus gender on main event or something that just pulls a, a steiner screwdriver oh, or something. jinder mahal does it yeah, I, I
1: want someone who it. knows they're going to get future endeavoured anyway to just pull out uh, their last house show match yeah. what you got to lose
0: sorry while I was googling Takako anyway I found out a very uh, did you find body oil and no no I didn't but however I did find this sentence in 2008, she appeared with fellow wrestlers Mio Shirai and Kaio Numi and the brut Educational Institution Yaju Gakuri, a video with lesbian discipline and catfight themes released by Attack Zone, a label of attackers. Four and a half stars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no Miss
1: Awa, not in the Tokyo Four and a half stars is the fucking GTA wanted rating you'll get for watching it. Actually,
0: um, this this is a question I was going to ask you, Sarah, specifically yeah. just to see because I'm I'm inherently interested by in this. Um, you know how in like, WWE we've mentioned before that you, for example, were, um you 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 when we when we all grew up, the women's division wasn't exactly the the vast tropical paradise that it is these days. <laughs> it was all like. Gravy bowl matches and brand panties matches and stuff like that. I have a theory that if you had these sort of matches with AJW people, they would be legitimately good matches. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) the work rate of that of that gravy bowl match was. uh... I
0: think if you had like Minami Toyota versus like Bill Nakano in like a gravy bowl match, it would be fucking excellent. It would actually, it would actually be amazing because they know how they I think I would be so much fun to see them because I think I think one of the keys is like when like Ric Flair fought the Great Khali, and you're like, how is he working this? <laughs> how, 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 how is he how is he pulling something out of the bag in this? Um, um, I, I,
2: I do you know I, what? I feel
0: that they could do that.
2: I don't know. I, I would. Part of me would absolutely love to see Bully Nakano versus Akira Hokuto in a Gravy Bowl just to see how they did it. I, I don't I, I still don't think it'd be good.
0: I, I see I had the idea that I think if Bill Nakano was in a ball match what the time that she turn up, she would just like n- like nail the other person in the face outside the bowl, pull at a crowbar from the bowl <laughs> hit them in the face and then just pour it, and they just tip the whole thing over them. That so would that's be how I feel that Bill Nakano or Azra Kong would approach it. But I I think I think there would be so much fun trying to watch them in these awful, awful stipulation <laughs> and walking and, and around it and, and then doing like, the, could do Valentines and stuff and, like that and,
1: and then the timekeeper just throws them a can of gravy and they like, like, crash them together like stone gold. <laughs> no, 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 no.
2: So, We've had Cutie Suzuki, who invented the Cutie special. Um, and then we've had Megumi Kudo, uh, who innovated the Kodomi Valentine. And both of these are uh, moves that have been ripped off and borrowed and used wholeheartedly by people ever since. Um, but then we have um, probably one of the less well-known people in this match, Hikari Fukuoka, who should be the patron saint of, of anyone who has ever frequented our website, because she innovated the Moonsault double foot stomp.
1: Still silly. Still silly.
2: I mean, still silly, but it looks fucking cool, guys.
1: It's, it, it is one of my favourite moves, because, like... The thing is, if you're doing a double foot stomp, you have got... Like, you can see where you're going, at least. With a moonsault double foot stomp, you're basically taking a blind leap. Yeah. And you've got to land on a not very, like, large area to aim at. Yeah. Like, it's... You know, sure, I used to do it.
2: Now In... In English, there there, are, there aren't actually a huge number of sources uh, out there where I could really find much information on, on Hikari Fukuoka. Um, but she, so she debuted in 1989, so she's you know she's a few years into a career at this point. Um, as far as I can make out, she hadn't really won many titles, or any titles, by the time we got to, to Big Egg. Um, she had a succession of sort of tag title runs from 1995 onwards, so maybe she was just about to kind of hit her stride now. Um, but she she'd retired by 1999 so i think we're she's very much one of those people who sort of had a bloom maybe like five years in and sort of came in and sort of came into her own from that um she was trained by i thought this might be an interesting factoid for you guys Uh, one of her trainers was kotetsu yamamoto who in turn was trained by Rikidozan himself so i mean
1: that's pretty great yeah
2: so she is like the the spiritual granddaughter of the great Rikidozan himself um Great again, all the quote marks in the world around that. Um, <laughs> there's actually quite a lot of, of footage out there of Hikaru Fukuoka, especially if you look around on YouTube. Um, most of it is because she's in tag matches with people who are a bit more famous than her. Actually, so she was a she was mostly a JWP wrestler. So I mean, that would have probably put her at being like a, a run below where cute Suzuki was, and probably being on her way up into in, into assuming that kind of position. Um, but again, she's someone who's really good value in tag matches, and she is someone who is probably in the point of becoming like the next sort of the heir apparent to that kind of idol of the promotion uh, crown. Um, there's There is, of course, a photo book of her. Uh, Whilst I was searching for her on Google, I got the Amazon link to her photo book. I did not click on the link. I cannot tell you anything about the cover because I'd learnt the lesson from looking at Takako, anyways. Just send it to (laughs) you. It's all right. You can add it to your bookmarks. There'll be a whole folder of them by the time, this, <laughs> se- by the time this episode ends. Uh, so
0: so, what's, what's that list called Where you, uh, your Amazon wishlist? I uh, just my Amazon wishlist,
2: just like 18 like, photo books.
1: So everyone in this match has a photo book?
2: Yeah, yeah. Everybody in this mind match, you, absolutely everybody in this match has a photo book. am
1: sure I'm sure there's enough stardom tag matches uh, nowadays where when all of the participants have a photo book. Announce Natsuko to a photo book, you cowards.
0: <laughs> this is a photo book derby. <laughs> it <laughs>
1: genuinely is.
2: I think... It's quite... This is one of those teams where you think, you know, between Kudo and Fukuoka, they're, they're from two different promotions, but there's there's a bit more of a senior and a junior partner here, whereas um, Kyu Suzuki and Takako Inoue... Don't necessarily have that kind of obvious discrepancy. I feel no, like they're people it, who are who are seen as being kind of equal and opposite.
1: It's it's obvious from the match though, which we'll get to uh, just now, that uh, Kudo versus Suzuki is the main rivalry that they're trying to build through. Oh
2: it. yeah, the the most obvious way of linking all of these women together when you get them into when you get them into this match is that actually. There's a definitive look, which I think you can identify them by as being in this kind of, this loose folder of idol wrestling, which is that basically they've all got the full red lipstick um, and they've all got similar hair in the sense that it's incredibly sleek, incredibly shiny, and it's always bone straight.
1: I had real trouble telling uh, Fukuoka and Inoue apart because their hairstyles were very similar. uh,
2: Hasn't Inoue got the the, the lighter streak down the front though. She has,
1: yeah, but like it was... uh... I don't think it was quite enough for me to go on in terms of so I was just, I basically kept kept writing someone's name and then think oh no fuck they're attacking with the other person
0: it's like when they do the Usos and you're like oh well geez this one he's got this and you're like I, I'm not right yeah, yeah it's very that.
1: hard to just... tell like when they're moving around and doing flips and stuff it's very hard to tell which of the Usos has this kind of tattoo and which of yeah. them yeah
2: Yeah, but I mean you so obviously they've got this they, they've got this look in terms of hair and makeup and all of that you've also got Loads of glitter, lots of feathers, lots of frills. um, Cute Suzuki wearing an exceptional gold coat in the pre-match interview. Just wanted to draw attention to that for a minute. Home
1: and Inoue have come as the tickets from the Crystal Dome. Because like Inoue's got a a silver one that uh, that she's wearing. There's lots of bubbles as well for some reason, like with the, well, the two of both them. Emerge from... bubbles. Lots of West Ham fans in the in the in the house clearly. Well,
2: you talk about bubbles. Um, Suzuki and Inoue basically emerge from giant eggs on the screen. Like they're sort of <laughs> bubbles. They're up on the stage, and these the, these eggs sort of burst, and then they just emerge from within them. So um, um... and then
1: Akabono came out of another egg next to them. <laughs>
2: God's sake but Yeah So they come out to um, Inoue's music Which is how I first came across The joys of It's a knockout Of She's a knockout Not It's, it's a, a knockout
1: No let's Let's, let's The the, the cancelled It's a knockout
2: It's a knockout Regional finals Is what's happening In the Tokyo Dome The day after this oh. So they emerge from, They emerge from these eggs On the stage um, She's a knockout Is playing They come out They are obviously Having the time of their lives Oh they, my god They're loving it This is it. the stage That Takako Inoue Has been waiting for You just see the way That she emerges from that egg and she's like She's she's blossoming She's basically Bless like 40,000 people
1: Are about to see me look fucking awesome <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I the, the Fukuoka and Kudo I mean Kudo's got this Kudo was wearing pink in this match but like um Like the shade Of pink her entrance robe was was like you've turned up The brightness on your telly a few settings Like it was also like The porno sax for like This entrance it's like when you play The sax and you're like you're proper doing the fucking vibrato on every single note like my god it was honking
2: (laughs) it's absolutely great i think everybody in this match has come in with i would say maybe fukuoka is not quite at that stage in her career she's probably not as well known as the other as the other three i think she's getting there and i think that's probably why she's in this match um but all four of them have come out and been like right this is my stage. I was born for this. They're all, they're really playing up to it. And I, I love it. So um, Kudo goes, pretty much goes straight in before the bell. It's quite obvious that it's the, like you mentioned, it's the yeah. Kudo versus Suzuki is the match Immediate that they're all really aggro,
1: That's what we, uh, D- David, I know you're a big fan of um, what we, we, we talked about it with regards to uh, Shinobu Kandori and Toshio Yamada in the earlier episode. Just a bit of, not afters because it's not after anything. Befores, if you like, but like it's yeah. just.
0: I mean A bit of archery, archery.
1: I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you probably really like this match.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I will be honest. I I did I, I did enjoy what I seen of it. I, I I was I literally watched just about twenty about twenty minutes before we started watching. I did I did enjoy this match. Yeah, you you can always win my heart with a bit of a bit of um scrapping before and after so it's, it's always a, it's always a good start to that.
2: I hope you'll appreciate the one that the little touch that I really popped for at the time which is that um Kudo starts attacking straight like long before the bell. Her poor partner. Not only has she not noticed this happening at the side of her, she's actually still shaking her opponent's hand. So there's two partners, <laughs> So there's two of them having a scrap whilst the other two are still, like, earnestly shaking hands. It's brilliant. It reminds me of um, Lex Luger and Sting. Yes. 1990, in
0: 1996, when Lex... Uh, it was 95, 96, and Lex Luger was a heel to everyone but Sting. So, what would happen is he would be coming down the, r- the ramp and they'd be doing the old politicians, hey, wave to the crowds and all that. And then like Sting would go in front of them. And then like lecturer would just turn around to a child and go, and we'll start trying to fight him. <laughs> and then when Sting turned around, he'd be like, hey, he'd pat his head and all that and then walk off. And it's just, it's just wonderful, just. Two people not in the same page. I pop,
1: I pop for that so hard. I the, the 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 there's a move very early on in this match which I think sums it up, which is a handspring arse attack in the corner by um, by Fukuoka and it's very much like yes, there is going to be like you know hot women and their asses, but at the same time there is going to be work rate.
2: <laughs> well, I mean that's quite interesting about watching all of these women fight. Is again, I I wish that I'd never invoked the name of thehairpull.com, but there is. St-
1: they're, That's the
2: hairpool.com for but the There's definitely <laughs> elements, that uh, there's definitely elements of that kind of the the angry personal sort of the again, all the quote marks, cat fight elements of this. Because yes, there's a there's the work rate, they're doing a lot of really quite complex and full-on moves yeah. to each other. But they're also hair pulling, there's the odd little bit of biting, they're grabbing, they're literally shaking each other by the head, all sorts. I feel like they're they probably lean a little bit more into.
1: I, th- I think they do, yeah. But, like, those those kind of tactics were by no means unique to the idol-type wrestlers no. in AJW. You get me? Like, Toyota was, uh, was one for it. I mean, no less a person than Willie Regal has always said that he likes to pull people's hair in matches. As, as he explains it, if you're watching, you've probably never... You've put, you might not have been put in a half Boston Crab or, like, been given a body slam, but, like, you've had your hair pulled, probably, at some point in your life, so it's a type of pain that the audience can empathise with.
2: As somebody who had hair that was long enough to sit on right up until, sort of, halfway through uh, my first year of high school here in the UK, I can confirm that I have had my hair pulled a lot during my lifetime, and it fucking hurts.
1: Yes, indeed. So, like, yeah, it's, it's kind of you kind of um have to if you've starting watching Josh you always have to almost have to coach yourself out of this mindset where it's like oh they're doing hair pulls and like oh 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 god and having some sort of vietnam flashback to Terry versus the cat at wrestlemania 2000 mm. and uh, you know it's it's very much not like that it's 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 a it's a part of a wider whole i think you are rather right they do lean on it a little bit uh, a mm. little bit more
2: but i mean they also have really some really lovely spots like my favorite thing in the world that not enough people do is a takako Inoue spot where she gets Hikaru. She gets her up as a pile driver, keeps her in that position, and then just does a few keepy uppies, to knee, <laughs> yes. like, knees her in the head repeatedly before she plants her
1: pile driver. It's very unveiling great. the new signing at halftime, and then they do a few basic ball juggling skills in the centre. <laughs> great,
2: it's like the, the um. kneeing her in the head using the position that she's in. It's a, it's in the same ballpark for me as um, so the famous Sasha versus Bailey match from NXT Takeover Brooklyn in 2015. Dean or whatever, mm. um, where they've got this um, that wonderful spot where Bailey's got her injured hand and she's reaching out for the ropes. Sasha's got her in the bank statement and she's just reaching out and kicking the hand repeatedly and stomping on it to keep it to damage it and keep it away from the ropes. It's it's that caliber of move for me, which I will always I will always lose it for. I love the if second. second them thing. So close oh. to your knees. Why wouldn't you knee them in the head? Yeah. I've never seen it before.
1: Yeah, I, I also love the second one uh, that she does where she walks uh, she walks kudo up the ramp to do another, she kind of just carries her halfway down the ramp and then does another tombstone mm. there's uh also, yeah. I, also i love i love after that um uh, uh suzuki just does a double stomp just just to add insult to injury
2: yeah just because she can
1: that that's also another sort of mizuki reho thing isn't it they just love just putting double stomp as a sort of little exclamation point
2: good point actually yeah Re- yeah mizki's quite a quite quite a one I've, for the double stomp
1: mizki even does Mis. you know what mizki's finisher is uh is
2: it the cute special it is
1: the cute special yeah oh,
2: i'm sure there's yeah. a deliberate
1: patterning um of her style after cute suzuki uh by, by her yeah so think... mizki's even smaller and skinnier
2: yeah. <laughs> the thing is this so this match it lacks a bit of polish
1: yeah, not necessarily I, a bad thing, but yeah, I think you're right.
2: Yeah, but it feels it feels personal, and it feels it feels aggressive and nasty in the way that a lot of other a, a lot of other matches certainly on this show don't necessarily.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's a um, I, I think I, I'm sure that's deliberate in the in the sense that these are women who occupy. I mean, I guess Fukuoka is the sort of relative rookie amongst them, but these are women that occupy a relatively similar spot in each of their respective companies. Uh, so I guess there's a feeling of them wanting to prove themselves as the top dog yeah. um, amongst that particular uh, particular echelon of, of wrestling. So yeah, I, th- I think you are right on that score. Yeah, yeah. There's some great, there's some great, sh- there's some great shit in this. Like um, Fukuoka, I think she seems to feel like she has a little bit of a point to prove. So she's yeah. going especially hard with her stuff. Like there's this missile drop kick that gets in the way right in the face, <laughs> like just both boots one on each cheek.
0: It's quite satisfying, really. It's quite rough. There's one um, as well where it's a double team. and, Like two of them are are holding, or like one of um, she's holding two of them and then they move out of the way and she just gets absolutely wiped out by a missile drop kick. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I I absolutely love that. I'd love to like. I love to just watch like a few AJW shows and the see the proportion of missile drop kicks that people end up hitting their own partners with because I'm getting at least a fifth of them.
2: It's disproportionate, I would say.
1: <laughs> it really, it really is. Like, mm. um, um, since against Suzuki is someone like she's very small, but she hits hard. There's one kick to the back of Fukuoka that she does, which is just fucking. Like, I'll tell
2: you what as well. Cutie Suzuki does a lovely dragon suplex.
1: She does actually. The other thing was like she did the was which I um, enjoyed was the um well, I mean, first, firstly, there's a bit of a Fukuoka who's just backflipping like an absolute crazy person. Like, she does the Daniel Bryan backflip out of the corner and a which I'm like, Okay, I'm good at backflips, so I'm going to do as much of those as I possibly can. And Suzuki does a double foot stomp, but you know how, like, Alistair Black does it, or used to do it, but then they decided that's Finn Balor's move and you can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, would like, Put it, place them in the center of the ring, and then just like do a big fucking leap. Suzuki does not do that. She places them very, very close to the corner, and then just drops like a stone. It's it's satisfying. there is no like distance. It is just drop. It's really good. It's
0: yes, yeah, it's um, it is quite it's quite the specimen of a drop kick, definitely.
1: I mean, I, I can't I can't remember any of my like physics from school, but like. W- would it be more forceful if you like literally just fucking dropped down rather than like jumping across someone like basically someone um Don't actually know. dm the podcast and uh tell us how gravity works because i think all of us have forgotten <laughs> and we could do with a refresher so um if you're a science person then uh, do do let us know
2: Magumi Kuda also doing a great fisherman suplex i'm not just here to like draw attention to suplexes but there's a couple but there were a couple that i really wanted to mention and i uh, there actually isn't a Kudomi Valentine in this match. No, there isn't, which is a shame because it's the coolest thing. Does
1: not mean that people, Kudo isn't dropping people on their head, which oh, we'll no. discuss when we get to the finish. But
2: Absolutely. Uh, before
1: that, David, what what, what you called Doomsday Chokeslam? Is that what you would call it?
0: Yeah, it's 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 quite mad. Yeah, it's it, it's along those lines. It's 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 quite it's quite mad. To be fair, <laughs> like. I think giving it a name tries is make uh, humanifies it too much. It's, it, too, it's too.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like the um, Chuck Taylor and and Trent do. Uh, I think they do this move where like I swear it was them, but like one of them's on the other one's shoulders and the one on top does the choke slam. Like, it's something really fucking stupid like that. This was kind of like the opposite of that. Like, you're choke slamming someone off someone's shoulders. Um, Yeah, Kuna nearly fucking died um, taking that move. She did. Yeah, it was. Um, speaking of, do
0: you think it was part of your contract for Big Edge is that you have to take at least one near death?
1: Ball? <laughs> yeah, I mean Suzuki got hers in when she um does this dive to the outside. I again, great camera work on this show. She just dropped out of sight with no idea if she landed it or just went splat on the floor. Her no her opponent was in before she was, so I assume she just fucking died. <laughs> it's oh god, this match is. It's very hard to. I uh, know we're sort of going around the moves, kind of piecemeal, but it's. I'm not saying there wasn't a flow to this match because there was, but like it was. It was a bit of a spot fest. Not that that's a bad thing, but There's like no
2: obvious face in peril. I think
1: no. Um, for all we've put over is Suzuki has the... being good at that.
2: Yeah, and if anything, um, Takako I know it probably takes more punishment than than anybody else.
1: But... Yeah, which you wouldn't really assume because she's one of the bigger women in this match, and it's hers is the home promotion.
2: Yeah. But I found it really fun to watch for that reason. I mean, she's actually the one that... She's the one that takes the pin um, as we get towards the finish. Um, And to be fair, and again... Mugumi Kudo dropping people on her head. She goes down for the pin, but she does go down to three successive Tiger Drivers.
1: Yeah, the three The first one in particular is fucking nasty. Like that is pretty much a Tiger Driver ninety one. It's quite it's funny. It's quite funny that, that um is the first one and then Kudo does two much safer ones afterwards. So I don't know if it was an intentional head drop uh, or uh, anything. Uh... This is after, by the way, a um, rather wonderful sequence of. I love unnecessary pin breaks. That's one of my thing, and just breaking up pins and submissions with double foot stomps is, I think, the only acceptable use of them.
0: Yeah, I, I I do love the sort of killing a fly of an atomic bomb levels <laughs> of like breaking up two counts with a, a, a foot stomp, like um I I. I... I would like quite like to see and there probably will be a match of this on this on this show to be honest if there is ever going to be a place where be this where people are like doing O'Connor rolls and schoolboys. and people are just breaking up with like hideous knee drops and stuff like that and is that's just the whole match I, that's that's one for the 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 Joshi promotions out there can you please make me a match where every pin attempt is a roll up and every every kick out is. Someone stopping it with a really move. move I think that would be. Those matches matchy. definitely
2: exist and they're definitely in I mean,
1: we watched um, in the uh, in the in the stream last night. We watched um, AJ Styles versus uh, Daniels versus Joe um, from Unbreakable 2005, and there's like AJ Styles breaking up the cocaine clutch with a fucking spiral tap. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of along those lines. I was a little about the finish that like uh, in a way tried to escape the third tiger driver but got pinned anyway and then gets up pretty quick to complain to the ref. So I don't know if this like fuck it, this is my promotion, I'm getting my heat back, brother. <laughs> um, but that was yeah. She gets up. I'm not saying that she went into business for herself because I'm sure she's very professional. But <laughs> all I'm saying is she gets up pretty quick. She continue, she's take, yeah. She's taken. Uh, she's taken three tiger drivers and she's up pretty quick. Um, I really like this match. Um, I thought it was again. If you if you if you think like oh like these are women who just got pushed because of their looks. Like, do yourself a favour and actually fucking watch the wrestle because, like, yeah, it, 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 I'm not saying this is it, the best match on the show or even anywhere near even the top five, probably, <laughs> but, like, that is just because this show is very, very big and there's a lot of very, very good wrestlers on it. And, uh, you know, just because, like, Kiyotazuki et al are not the tip-top workers of their respective promotions does not mean they're uh, they're not very, very skilled.
2: Because yeah. they uh, they absolutely are. I also want to talk about the presentation a little bit. Like, I don't know if you are you talking about the fact that the prizes for the winners include framed pictures of themselves. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is with that? <laughs> it's... I love it. I, I feel like that in a lot of ways that that reflects people's expectations of them as idols.
1: Yeah, I would I would say so. It's like yeah, you like looking at yourself. Um, like also like the now mostly we've not been aware. Because I, I know we've said that every match Had a sponsor Now we've not really been aware of what sponsors are Not being uh, uh, Forgive us for not being Zaibatsu experts of like 90s Japan But um, I... I, yeah, I Yeah I was going to ask you David Because I swear the ring announcer Says Sony Playstation during the presentation
0: that would line up, because it's 1995. I thought this was uh, sponsored by Betfair. Get <laughs> in <than> play.
1: Because, <laughs> yeah, this is... So this is November 94. November 94. The, yeah, the PlayStation came out in 1995. I just like the idea that um, Megumi Kudo is being presented with a big picture of herself and an early release copy of Battle Arena Toshinden.
0: <laughs> I, That's so, the dream, Seeing, isn't that, it? seeing that, George... If me and you and Sarah were all sexy idol wrestlers and you won at Big Egg, you'd keep that fucking photo in frame it, though, wouldn't you? Oh, oh, God, yeah. You'd absolutely have that on your like on, on top of your fireplace and in between, like, 18 pictures of you from a gravure photo book. <laughs> but, like, that one, that that's... It, it seems like a very vain thing to have, but I think because it's Big Egg, you can kind of get away with it. It's sort of like a pennant. Uh, football match, right? <laughs> you, you, you sort of have a, you know, instead of like saying, you know, Aberystwyth versus Berkacara, it's, it's you know, you, a picture of it, you. Yeah, a, yeah
1: it's, it's like sponsor. that. Yeah, Aber- Aberystwyth Town versus Floriana Valletta that badge that you managed to find for me at a game. So can you I was thinking about like talking about pennants. Can you imagine the psychological advantage you'd have got over Mourinho's Chelsea if you just fucked with John Terry's head by presenting him a pennant with his own face on it before the game?
2: <laughs> I mean the main thing about that is that the pennant would have involved John Terry having not been there for the photo shoot, but been waiting outside in the back in full kit. <laughs>
1: And if there's, like, one of, like, three football things, you know, Wayne Rooney's hair transplant, Frank Lampard's Derby County, John Terry turning up for the prize-giving in his kit when he didn't even play. Oh,
2: come on, give me some credit. Ryan Giggs shagged his brother's wife. Ryan Giggs
1: did shag his brother's (laughs) wife. Actually, even the the biggest psychological advantage, you'd um, present uh, John Terry a pennant with his face on it. On the back, it just says, I know what you did. (laughs) That could refer to any number of things, in fairness. But, yes, so... um, I will see. what
2: date was Spegig? Uh November 94. I don't have the actual date in front of me. 22nd
1: of November.
2: That sounds familiar, but the 22nd wasn't the 22nd of November also the date in 1963 when JFK got shot, so I don't know.
1: Might have been the same day.
2: Could have
0: been. Yeah. Um well it was released in Japan on the third of December, nineteen ninety four, the PlayStation, so that would make total sense. Oh
1: yeah, okay yeah, then. That's perfect. Yeah, that's 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 great shit.
0: it's my second favourite um video game sponsorship in uh uh pure old behind uh, do you remember when old Japan had the Sega Saturn ring?
2: No <laughs> Yes. I mean yeah, it this. had a
0: ring where it was advertised by Sega Saturn and it's just the best. That's it's just so, so
1: good. That's so symbolic.
0: That's it like literally everyone uh, uh, like it's literally the first ring everyone makes in like WWE games.
1: <laughs> well, oh, do, do you remember when ACADA came out with the Buster Sword from Final Fantasy seven and a fucking Velociraptor?
0: Yeah <laughs> Halcyon
1: days. Yeah, innit? So um yeah, uh, so that was the uh, that was the idle match. Um certainly weren't idle in terms of work rates, eh? eh? Get out. Hey, hey,
2: hey.
1: I mean I, I I mean I can't get out with fucking lockdown. <laughs> Good point <laughs> um, So yeah I, I, I hope that uh, You've enjoyed Our look At uh, the, the various ways In which um, Wrestlers on this show Were presented In ways To appeal To a, a certain market um, I mean The next one That we were going to do Episode 7 Is I think We haven't quite decided How many episodes We're going to do On this particular Should we say Stretch of the show
0: Are you talking about
2: The shoot sport
1: I am talking about The shoot sport Sarah
0: Mummy Daddy. My time has come
1: <laughs> Yeah we are talking Fucking like amateur wrestling Kickboxing exhibitions This weird workshop with Kawarito That goes 15 minutes for some ungodly reason Like all that shit we're going to be Bringing it to you so I'm very sorry if you feel There has been an overabundance of wrestling On these uh, first six episodes But we are working to rectify That situation as quickly as possible Doris Blind is coming we are just going to have to Um uh,
0: If you like horse shit then my word just is- we have a lot of horse for you next episode um uh, this is i i i don't joke when i say this right i i specifically suggested we do a big egg because i wanted to watch these matches <laughs> i don't care about vtop <gasps> couldn't give a shit this this is the stuff that i really really wanted to watch i am so excited this is my woodstock
2: it's... i was literally about to say david is this your woodstock <laughs> Uh,
0: it's oh, I've I've waited and agonised twenty years of her George
1: <laughs> Wood, Woodstock twenty twenty. Jimi Hendrix has got his guitar out. He's playing a crazy distorted version of She's a Knockout. <laughs> <laughs> it's just,
2: it's a really, it's a really broad summation of everything that sort of the idea of fighting women is as well. Because actually, I'm going back to what what this episode was about in practice. Actually, a lot of the people who were applying to AJW through all of that turn of the, the 1980s, of the 500 people per tryout, a lot of them they they kind of had in their minds that they were going to be that they were going to be wrestlers like like the ones that we've spoken about. Like they are, everybody came up in their mind with you know, it was people like Chigusa Nagayo who had encouraged these women in particular to get into wrestling. Cute Suzuki actually debuted in 1986. So you're talking about people who were inspired by this exact group of people. um, But there's always been this kind of overlap. And a good number of those people applied, hoping that they were going to become people a bit more like the Cutie Suzuki school, of thought, as well. And sometimes it didn't always work for them. You find that people like Megumi Kuda, who finds another way in, uh, the AJW system doesn't appeal to her. I mean, Cutie Suzuki went straight into JWP. There's lots of different ways that people... Climb the mountain, and there's lots of different ways in which people find themselves in in the wrestling industry It's just so interesting that for a lot of people, this would have been what they were aspiring to, especially this kind of this kind of match and that kind of crossover appeal is something that you see people like what's so different here to the Bellas and their endless reality shows and things like that, and that interest in them as people and the overlap there with them as influencers and then you uh, and that having become part of what they do in the ring and and things like that as well i think it's a it's quite universal really
1: yeah i think all those people who get into japanese wrestling think oh it's nothing like american wrestling you actually find out actually it's more it's more like it than you may think
2: i think you yeah. find that kind of anywhere that anywhere that involves an element of fan participation mm. You the, the way that kind of the idol system uh, and the kind of that, that those set of expectations operates it's just one, it's one strand of this it really quite universal theme of how people develop relationships with their fans and with their audiences. There's lots of different ways that people do that and companies like AJW and JWP that were smart enough to use that to their advantage, whether it's through things like kind of the the Blizzard Yuki, that attempt didn't work out very well but that was a way of trying to find another mainstream way in to keep that that churn of people coming that people turning up to shows and wanting to train yeah
1: the, the only difference between this and the 80s is the in the 80s the idols were in the main event in the 90s they were in the mid-card
2: yeah true there were secondary titles and they were tag champions you yeah. didn't really have the, with the exception of Kudo, who well, was you, your who, who was there yeah. was only one women's belt in yeah. MW. well you,
1: you look at uh, Stardom was originally set up to um Basically as a vehicle for a quite famous bikini model called, I know, shocker, called uh, Yuzuki Aikawa, who was like the face of the company, but she never won the red belt, she won the white belt, and she held that for a while, and she turned into a, a pretty capable wrestler, but they never put her on top because they have felt the need to have like a sort of more credible wrestler. Yeah. On top. So it's the same kind of mentality, but yeah, this has always been idol culture has always been a part of uh, women's professional wrestling in Japan and and also in another uh, respect to like uh, men's wrestling as well. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not something whatever you think of it, it's not something that's going away anytime soon.
2: No. But then and and hopefully this is something that the next episode will will help sort of highlight as well is that actually these these women Belong on the same card as the serious wrestlers of people, you know, like the Akira Hokutoz and the Kongs, but also the kickboxers and the shootboxers. And ultimately, they're all they're all different ideas of when they're being presented for this audience. I think that they're it it demonstrates that there's actually more similarities between what's what people want to see in terms of who they want to support and what they want to support. There's actually more more similarities between all these different ways that women fight. Yeah, then I think we give people credit for.
1: Absolutely, and I think that's a, a takeaway from this uh, from this show in general. So with that in mind, that was episode six. Thank you very, very, very much for listening. Before we go, we have got shit to plug. So uh, David, you want to uh, do you want to kick us off?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I uh, uh in addition to this, I run a podcast about Partick Thistle it's called Drawlers or Draw Um yeah so listen to that um, it's at Drawlers or Draw on Twitter it's on SoundCloud iTunes and yes, yeah, it's, it's good fun um, but yeah Drawlers or Draw and um, Partick Thistle podcast as well as that fastbuck.bandcamp.com and um, my project is Abdullah Kobayashi. uh put some money there um, as well as that Daniel our cohort who um, on the Poor of Re podcast he does He uh, used lots of weird music as well
1: yeah and, uh, Sarah, what about yourself?
2: Um, so, a couple of things. So, number one, I recently uh, contributed an essay to a book called Women Love Wrestling, which is... Um, I have plugged this on every episode so far, so stop me if you've heard this one before. I will keep saying this until you buy it. Um, basically, it's women writing about wrestling and writing about women's wrestlings. Um, both of those things, and... Um, Mine is quite short and near the beginning, um, but there's some fascinating stuff in there from people from all different walks of life. Um, really interesting insight into um, fandom, I suppose, really, but also into sort of life inside the women's wrestling industry um, and being women within the broader the, the broader sort of sector. Um, it's really good, guys, and I'm not just saying that because I'm in it. In fact, if anything, it's more it's good despite me being in it, um, and most importantly. Um, the royalty checks have finally started coming through, and I am absolutely thrilled to say money is finally getting towards the the people that it's intended for. All the proceeds from these book sales will go to Rain in the U.S. and Women's Aid in the U.K. Um, so the money is finally starting to go through to them, and I'm really proud of that. And to be honest, buy the book. The links are on Amazon. We'll be putting them out there on on, on social when these uh, when these episodes go out. Um, and if you even if you don't want the book, just Give women's aid some money, for God's sake. Now more than ever, they are really coming under pressure. You know, chuck some money their way
1: so um we have uh, we have all got a website that you can uh, visit which is called i maintain the double footstomp is silly.com that's i maintain the double is silly.com um you can read all sorts of wrestling articles that we have written on various subjects the stuff on japanese wrestling american wrestling why ball nakano should be in the hall of fame which is a um very strongly held view of uh, of sarah's um i wrote it's not a view it's fact <laughs> I, I wrote I wrote an article about why Vader should be in the Hall of Fame and then he did get in the Hall of Fame and I like to think that uh I like to think that I in some way have uh have uh, contributed towards that, RIP, big man. And uh, so we've got all sorts of um, stuff on there, like real wacky shit. An article I wrote called Is Antonio and Inocchio Romano, which is one of the, dispiritingly one of the more balanced uh, pieces that got written on Brexit in uh, in 2019, um, gave everyone both, both bowels. It felt incredibly cathartic. And uh, I hope it will, um, although, like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it turns out all those uh, VL cunts in Jeremy Corbyn's mentions banging on about Brexit, it's like, oh, it turns out it wasn't the most important thing in the fucking world, as we all sit here, like, like desperately trying to podcast our worries away. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we've got, got that going, uh, please enjoy that.
0: Oh, sorry, as well as that, I just wanted to mention, um, I had another plug, actually, if I can stick it in. You can. Uh, yeah, it's fine. I just wanted to mention, um, if you use the code PuroPureBigEgg2020 um, on Patreon, you can get um, 20% off of the HairPool.com's Patreon. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: fuck
2: off, and when you get there, fuck off further. <laughs>
1: F- fuck off the maximum amount you're allowed to fuck off while respecting social distancing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: sorry I, I couldn't help it.
1: oh my god um i've got a novel which you can buy on uh, amazon uh, in uh most, most of the big countries, um, so like see if your country is, uh, <laughs> is, uh, is listed because you can get it on your Kindle uh, for £2.49 and you can get a paper copy of it for £14.99. I should probably tell you what the book is called and it is called The Rise and Fall of Rikidozan, that is R-I-K-I-D-O-Z-A-N. Rikidozan was the father of Japanese professional wrestling. He created a company called Japanese Wrestling Association in 1954 and for the next decade until his untimely death, in uh, nefarious circumstances that you will read about when you uh, when you experience the uh, the joys that my book has to offer, was really the preeminent figure uh, not just in uh, Japanese wrestling but also in sports and in Japanese TV as well. And it's all about my protagonists being drawn into the murky world of uh, professional wrestling and um, various. Uh, I guess reflections on the theme of never meet your heroes, and all stuff to do with wrestling's position in Japanese society after the trauma of defeat to the Allied forces in the Second World War, and how the idea of Japan versus America really helped the country uh, get over that, and uh, so on and so forth. So there's, there's a lot of like different themes. Um, if you are, for um, whatever reason, unable to leave the house at the moment, it, it is quite the hefty fucker. So it will provide you quite a lot of uh, reading for your two pound forty nine. People seem to enjoy it. You don't to know anything whatsoever about Japanese wrestling or wrestling in general in order to get something out of the book because people I know even people who aren't related to me have uh, who know nothing about wrestling have read the book and really enjoyed it um, so um, yeah if you want to chuck a bit of money in my way I'm making about five of a month off it so um, that uh, that uh, timeshare in the Cayman Islands is uh, just a mere century away and uh, that was oh also the Purupuru podcast we've mentioned it a couple of times you can follow myself and David's uh, other podcast project at Purupuru Podcast on uh, on Twitter, and you can also find the Per podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, we mostly cover historical wrestling angles, so there's not huge amount that we do that's like before you know, two thousand uh, after two thousand five uh, should I say um, and so we mainly really just deep dives into various wrestling matches um, sort of sort of thing that you uh, get here only with much more uh, football chats. not that we've not tried to uh, get a bit of it in there anyway uh, but yeah if you if you're in the market for another wrestling podcast then uh, do check that out we would really really appreciate it and uh, so it's on some episodes as well so not all of them are just tangent filled messes um, and uh, with
2: I mean you say that I have failed miserably at keeping this podcast. From becoming a tangent-filled mess, I?
1: But you have tried, and that is the uh, the <laughs> important thing. You've
0: oh yeah, I was going to say Compared compare to like our other podcasts This is a fucking newsnight review, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> only without loads of fash, fash bastards being uh, being invited on.
2: Now there's a recommendation for you, dear listeners.
1: Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. We won't platform the fashion. If you can't expect that from your wrestling podcast, then what can you expect? So, uh, thank you very much. This has been episode six of Big A Podcasting Universe, and we'll see you next time for episode seven. Good night and good luck.
0: indie bands that are idols are there an indie band are they? Oh,
1: i don't even oh. fucking
0: know
1: uh, i genuinely um, don't know they, what
0: music they play um yeah so like they um what was it uh, my, my friend told me we done a thing on sunday where we did uh um it's uh like you know just a we skype chat just the virtual pub so to speak and he was telling me we had to be done two truths and a lie and he told me that once um him and his friends once got a free hotel room because they <laughs> pretended to be the band editors <laughs> incredible happened, they were out they were out at the they were out of the pub and they were quite drunk and they and they were like uh, they seen that the editors were playing in Glasgow that night and they're like nobody knows who the editors look like that's and really um, funny and they um they were like do you think and they phoned up a hotel and they went and one of them pretended to be like their manager and they're like "Oh, the guy who was running the gig and he says oh we've had a hotel pull out and we've got the band editors uh, in glasgow and they, they don't have a hotel room We're wondering if you could sort a hotel room out for us and they're like yeah sure and they got one like of the best room in the hotel they got like breakfast and all that and um to to put a, to even put a point on it um the, they, they turned up, right, and they decided to just keep the charade going. So they would go the, like the bar and stuff, and they're like, oh, were the band editors? And they're like, oh, yeah. And there was... Um, uh, and then somebody was like, oh, yeah, I know the band editors. They, they sing that song. It was an honest mistake, <laughs> right? Which Amazing. is not editors. It is not. It's wow. the bravery. It's, it's the bravery, right? So what they did is that when they, when they left, they signed the guest book. And then they they, they they wrote, and at the end they put in quotation marks, "It was an honest mistake." Uh, hyphen editors.